does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Today on Query and Company. So to be fair, Jimmy Cook, because I'm a man of fairness, I was pretty harsh on Indiana when they got blown out at Nebraska, right? You were? So I guess I probably should come down pretty hard on Purdue for getting blown out at Nebraska, right? I would argue that, not that I want there to be a double standard, but when you look at the two resumes, just this season alone, not even the last five years like we talk about. Purdue's earned benefit of the doubt that, and Indiana's not? Yes. It, it In this season, just exclusively this season, not even taking into account the last five-year stretch where it's been clear that Purdue has been the superior program, just looking exclusively at this season, Purdue has earned a night like that. Let me ask you this question. Would you like a team? And I want you to tell me what all these guys have in common. But do you like a roster that looks as following? And let me read them off to you. Okay. Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, Aaron Neesmith, Jalen Smith, Oscar Shibway, Andrew Nimhard, Jarris Walker, Isaiah Wong, Isaiah Jackson, Kendall Brown. I'd run with that team, yeah. Let's go. Would you say that that team, from an NBA standpoint, gives you some veteran leadership? Yes, I would argue towards the bottom of that, there's a good mix. Some younger names towards the tail end, but But yes. you like the maturity of a Tyrese Halliburton. Absolutely. You like the maturity of a Benedict Matherin. I do. You like the maturity of an Aaron Neesmith. Yes. You like the maturity of a Jalen Smith. Sure. You know what all of those guys have in common? What do they have All in of those Jake? guys are older than Xavier Johnson, <laughs> who Indiana should leave it in New Jersey. They should say, you know what? You've been a good player. You've hit big shots for us. You've been an exciting player. But here's the thing. You acted like a jackass last year. You embarrassed the roster. You embarrassed the franchise or, you know, the program by driving like 90 miles an hour up Walnut or whatever it was. And we just kind of looked the other way with that. We just kind of let it go. You know, it's the off season. People forget about it. Bottom line is, you know, we didn't go out and do anything to get ourselves outside shooting. And we need this guy because he's an outside shooter. So we're just going to look the other way. We're just going to let it slide. People will forget about it. And then when he comes back and he hits big shots that helps us in Lincoln, Nebraska, or when he hits big shots that lifts us to a big win against bottom feeder Rutgers, (laughs) all will be forgotten. But instead, he goes into the game as a 24-year-old that is older than players that we just said are mature NBA players, and he acts like a complete jackass. Xavier Johnson should be left behind. Sorry, you haven't done anything. I know he was hurt, don't get me wrong. But he's been a liability at times the entire time he's been at Indiana, and for a program that prides itself on being a little bit different, programs that are a little bit different don't compromise their principles because they think a guy might be able to help them out in an area where they did zit nada to help themselves elsewhere. 
I hope he enjoys the Statue of Liberty because he should be able to get a nice tour of it today, perhaps with like an $8 <laughs> ticket. Right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you might as well look at the crown jewel of the United States if you're going to be hitting the crown jewels of another player in a game and yeah. getting ejected when your team needs you and needs the only thing that you bring to the table because you didn't do anything to get any area of help in that regard elsewhere. Looking at that incident, just that in a vacuum, not the entire body of work, because when you look at the entire body of work, I'm, I'm right there with you, but that's the type of play that I would expect Gabe Cups to make or CJ Gunn to make, like somebody that's just inexperienced and fighting through a screen and perhaps you're a little frustrated and your hand goes a bit low. That's not something I expect from the 24-year-old 50-year senior or right. whatever he's on at this point. Yeah, he's like a 60-year senior, yeah. right? And regrettably, Jake, I don't know that they can leave him behind. Like whether you believe that they, which I do, that they attempted to acquire guards in the portal, it just did not work out for them. They missed on a number of pieces they went after. They're stuck with what they have now. And we've seen without Xavier Johnson what this team is. They're too young. They're too inexperienced. They're still not great at outside shooting. I was looking at the numbers and a shout out to, I didn't think I would name drop this, but shout out to my former meteorology professor at IU. Shout out Cody Kirkpatrick because he tweeted this last night. They have been 200th or worse in free throw shooting every year Mike Woodson's been here. Like, we're talking about basic fundamentals, let alone the turnover aspects the last two games. They're turning over on 20% of their possessions when they're on the road in the Big Ten. And then focusing exclusively on Xavier Johnson, to some extent, you went with a gamble, kind of like we talked about the Colts did at certain positions this year. You went at a gamble with Xavier Johnson, and your only hope for a strong campaign this year with still a ton of basketball left is him turning a corner. And I don't know if he's capable of it. I thought about this on the way in, Jimmy, because I try to always be consistent, quite frankly. If I'm going to ask players to be consistent in their performances, it's only fair that I, as a radio host, am consistent, right? And I try to be consistent. And I was very critical of Indiana when they got beat at Nebraska. So I thought, you know what? I've got to be critical of Purdue. for, And yeah, it was a bad performance for Purdue. Nebraska's, I think we're starting to learn you know, they're a pretty good basketball team. That said, I'll revert back to something my dad said to me when I was in high school. I revert back to a lot of things my dad said to me when I was in high school. But I remember once I got in trouble for something. I don't remember what it was. And my dad said, you've got to make a decision. I go, okay. And he said, there are two kinds of people in this world, Jake. There are good people that make bad decisions and there are bad people, period that just that occasionally might do something good to make people think that they're like a good person, but they just are somebody who consistently makes bad decisions. Or there's just, there's a good kid that occasionally makes a bad decision. And to be fair, at this point, Purdue is a basketball team that looks like a good basketball team that occasionally has bad nights. And Indiana, I'm not saying they're a bad basketball team, but to this point, we don't have enough body of work or evidence to believe that Indiana is a good basketball team that makes that has bad nights. They're just a poorly put together roster. There's no identity. That, doesn't, that, that has no heart. Yep. No desire. Like, why do people, why do these Indiana fans, and listen, I grew up with a ton of them, and I was, my life revolved around IU basketball when I was a kid growing up. But why do Indiana fans continue, you ever see the movie Fever Pitch? Yes. 
And that would I think it's is it fever pitch with Jimmy Jimmy Fallon? Fallon? Yes, yes. About Drew the Boston Barrymore, Red Sox. Yep, yep, yep. And there's a line. He's coaching a little league team, and he like he's he's totally distraught because the Red Sox lost the night before. And this little kid says to Jimmy Fallon, he goes, Coach, why do you continue to put your heart into the Boston Red Sox and love them when they've never loved you back? And for Indiana basketball, I get it. People are chasing the high of when Indiana did, in fact, love them back. But for the last three or four years, why why do people put emotional investment in it? Didn't you watch that game last night and think to yourself, at some point, if you're an Indiana fan, and for that, for the most part, if you're a Purdue fan, at what point are you sitting there thinking to yourself, I might as well flip over and watch old episodes of Family Ties because at least I should get something out of Peacock. <laughs> I can watch old IndyCar races. At least, like, I paid for this Peacock subscription to watch this crap. So if you're an Indiana fan, you're like, let me think about this. I set aside my Tuesday evening. I I subscribed to an online subscription streaming service to watch my team. I put on my jersey and my face paint. I got my little victory cigar ready like the guy that that does the happy feet dance whenever they sign a big recruit that we're convinced is going to take him to the promised land. And then I turn it on, and there these guys have zero interest in being there. And then afterwards, the coach is like, I don't know. It's weird. Don't ask me about it, though. I mean, I'm, I'm I listen, I was an all-star at Broderpool, and I played in Indiana, so you can't ask me any questions about it. You know, I coached a 500 Knicks team. Okay. Good. Great. It's like that old song. What have you done for me lately? Do, 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 do. Right? A, a year ago, and it's not at the level of expectations that the Indiana fan is rooting for, right? <laughs> but at least a year ago, you had a blueprint of, well, Jalen Hutchfino, Trace Jackson Davis, maybe they work it into a two-man game, and there's times where this is fun. They didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve last year, but at least there was a clear-cut identity of, okay, this is what this team does. You know they're going to struggle from beyond the arc. They might turn the basketball over at times, but you have two players that are likely going to the NBA. Maybe that's enough. And this year, there's been no adequate replacement for Jalen hood Shafino. And at spots, Khalil Ware looks like, okay, maybe that's someone you can run an offense through. And there's other times where... Everything else is so discombobulated. They're turning the basketball over. They're struggling at the foul line. They're still missing from beyond the arc. Where is the identity of this team? What can you hit your wagons to for the final 20 games of the season? A year ago, it was a totally different conversation because at least you had those two pieces. Now, I don't know where it is. I don't know who you can count on. Yeah, the... The one thing about Indiana, and I, this is definitely old man yelling at clouds, but when I, I think so many people, that's my point, Jimmy, like so many people that are fans of Indiana are all in on like, this is my program. This is my school. This is my state. It's my team. And it does, I think for some of those people, I would hope bother them that there are guys that are like, actually, I'm just a mercenary that I needed a place to go that would give me the most NIL money before I get to the league. So here I am. So I yeah I, I'm sorry I I I I I got confused when I was putting on the Indiana jersey because sometimes I forget who I play for. <laughs> uh, Jake, being a fan is not a choice; it's just something that lives inside of you. If you're one of those that's just wanting to be entertained, then turn the channel. Okay. 
And I, I, mean, res- that's, I respect that's that from fans. That's, that's right? like, I, like the message of today I, I is not, of hey, course. stop rooting for them. No, I get it. It's more what have they done to but, but reward listen, that. You want to see. I think fans of Indiana and fans of Purdue. I mean, look, I'm not, I, I can't sit here and not let Purdue off the hook after last night. A totally flat performance. They had some guys that just did not show up. Right. Yeah. And at some point with Purdue, we have to we have to quit saying, well, they just got beat because the other team shot the ball really well. Well, I, I mean, get out and guard it then, right? I mean, they're, they're, it goes. But from the Indiana standpoint, I think the thing about the Indiana game, first off, Rucker sucks, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, let's just be real here. Yes. Like, this isn't like, I, I mean, Rutgers, Rutgers, did they hang a banner yesterday? Like, beat Indiana, one, eight, one game eight? Uh, okay, woo Well, actually... They just have one banner, and it just says nine of the last eleven. Seriously, all they have to do we is we own add Indiana, to it. Yep, right? Pretty much. Yep. yep. I mean, the first, the first, the, the the Indiana territory was first deeded to William Henry Harrison as the governor because he helped win in battleground over Tecumseh, right? Well, Rutgers has now taken Indiana from William Henry Harrison. They're like, we own it. We we own the state. We we got it. We're good. Nobody even knows where we are. We had to rename ourselves Rutgers State University of New Jersey because nobody knew where we were. Nobody knows why exactly we're in the Big Ten. We don't really bring a lot to the table, but we beat Indiana every year. And Indiana looked like it wanted to be anywhere. And I don't blame them for this. I mean, I've been to all 50 states and New Jersey's number 50 for me. I don't blame them for not wanting to be in New Jersey last night. But like most of the guys at Indiana, looks like a New Jersey is actually what they want to put on because they don't want to be there for Indiana. Xavier Johnson should put on a New Jersey a, the next game he plays because it shouldn't be Indiana's. You're 24 years old. You go out. You get ejected from a game. And don't tell me about like, well, he's missed time due to injury, and so he's rusty. If I you was missed time to due to first time. If he's missed time due yep. to injury and he's rusty, then you think he wants sure. to get out there and play and compete. First game, I allow that. Second game, and they're not even make it to the finish line. I can't mark that as rust, especially the way it happened. Like that game at Nebraska, like I'm willing to look at it and say, all right, well, I mean, it's first game back. It'd been a long layoff. Here's, here's a little riddle a for second. you. Here's a riddle for Indiana fans. Name two things that are dusty. Name two things that are dusty. The banners at Indiana and the guy that should be coaching them. How's that? Give me somebody that at least goes out there and looks like they have a game plan, can make adjustments, understands substitutions, and doesn't belittle people for asking questions about any of it. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's I, what Indiana fans would love to see. And the other frustrating part, and this predates Mike Woodson a bit. I'm not going to sit here and be the guy that's like, oh, it, it, look at what it used to be, and. This is unacceptable because it is. That's, you know, you accept that to begin with. But you look at a matchup when Indiana's going to Rutgers when the schedule comes out every year, you don't expect it to go well. Like, how many years would you look at that matchup and say, no, Indiana's going to go in there, they're going to win? Now I see Piscataway on the schedule. It's like, all right, well, you know, it's going to be a nightmare. Right. How many different ways can you finish this mad lib of why did Indiana lose to Rutgers? How did Nebraska completely negate? For the first three quarters of that game last night, the college basketball player of the year. A lot of physicality, and they were letting him play. Like, you, you could tell, and I make jokes all the time when it's a former player on the broadcast, but even Robbie Hummel acknowledged this. Like, the way they were allowing Nebraska to play and fight in the post with Zach Eady, it's probably the most <coughs> I've seen a team defensively 
be able to fight with him toe for toe and there not be fouls whistled that way. And because that they were able to get away with that aspect of it, they were able to rotate to shooters quicker defensively and made life hard for Purdue. There's some stance of it where I thought Purdue was going to come back and win that game. And the conversation today would be, look at how deep this Purdue team is. Look at how many more weapons they have, especially beyond the arc. It doesn't matter if you take Zach Eady away. They're able to do it from the perimeter. And for the second time now this season, not to say it's necessarily a formula to beat Purdue because they can beat you in a lot of ways, but against Northwestern, much smaller volume of three-point attempts, shot at about 26%. Against Nebraska, again, both these games on the road, better percentage, about 30%, but you go like 13 of 33. The question still remains, are there going to be nights, regardless of how deep they are, where either by high volume or average volume, Purdue still struggles beyond the arc, combined with a night where Edie's average. Average still looks pretty good, but... For sure, and I get it. But he was negated, though. Yes. He, they didn't really get him going until it was Correct. too late, basically, right? Until yeah. till things were gone. Yeah. I, I think the thing last night that happened with Purdue... Couple of things probably took place. First off, you get you get one team that is, uh, you know, Nebraska. I mean, fourteen to 30, 23 from three point range. I got that, that's you got to get out and guard that. Don't get me wrong, right? But that's it's probably Nebraska an can flat home out game. shoot, yeah, right? I right. mean, they can flat out shoot. I think what happened to Purdue last night once they they kind of negated Edie, and and I say this only because you hope this isn't some sort of a blueprint, Farley Dickinson, that that teams look at. And, and start to pound towards in March. And by that, I mean, if you can somehow get physical on the inside with Purdue, and they didn't get anything really from Caleb First or from Kaufman Wren. So, so they're getting no help in that area. But what they did was Nebraska not only kind of took Edie out of the game, but Nebraska was shooting from the outside at a rate that Purdue tried to keep up with that instead of staying with their bread and butter. They took Purdue away from what Purdue typically wants to do. And, you know, Purdue shoots 33 times from beyond the arc. And in most games, that's going to be okay, except for that you're going against a team that's hitting them at an alarming rate. But it Nebraska, kudos to them. They took the toy out of Purdue's hands, basically, and just said, we're going to control here the way that we play. And you tip the cap to Fred Hoiberg and you look at Nebraska, and you mentioned to start the show – how hard you were on Indiana against Nebraska. I would still argue, and I think you would too, it's warranted considering what they did in Piscataway last night. But I think Nebraska's real. I'm not saying they're going like, to win the national title this year, but I think this is a different year for them. And they now have their signature win where you can't fall apart in the rest of Big Ten play. But there's some level of if you... I mean, not go 500, but as long as you're a couple games over 500 in conference, you're probably going to have a nice seed line if you're Nebraska. And that's a complete turnaround for where they've been the last three years. So let's recap, Jimmy, the last, I guess now at this point, it would be like 90 hours of <laughs> Indiana sports. Okay. I want to, listen, this is... Right now, this is Purdue down 13 in Nebraska or Indiana down double digits at Rutgers, meaning it's really tempting to just grab the knob and change it. I get it. I get it. So, 
I'm asking people, please hear me out for like 90 seconds because we're, we're going to do this together. We're going to collectively take a deep breath, okay? And we're going to do this together. Serenity now. In the last 90 or so hours in the state of Indiana, if you are a sports fan, things started out Saturday with so much fever pitch. Oh. Win and You've get in. Win and get in for the Indianapolis Colts. You've got Jason Tatum and the mighty Boston Celtics coming to town. Bring right? them on. Just took care of the Bucks. We're going to do it to the Celtics next. There's a ton to be excited about. Mm-hmm. And since that time, people here were able to watch the Houston Texans win the AFC South and take away a home playoff game. They saw the Celtics win at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. They saw Indiana, sure, beat Ohio State, and then turn around and get and look as flat as flat can be at Rutgers, the mighty Scarlet Knights. The mighty Scarlet Knights of Rutgers. Purdue goes to Nebraska. No show. Beaten by 16. At least a former Pacer got a win in Fred Hoiberg. There you right? go. There you go. But after that disappointment of the weekend, you thought to yourself, on Tuesday, I've got Indiana and Purdue playing. We just talked about what happened there. Monday night, that's cool. I'm going to go watch Tyrese Halliburton put together a triple-double in a Boston Celtic loss. Well, instead, he's out like, what, four weeks probably, right? Yeah, two to four, yep. Brutal stretch. Brutal. By the way, you see the last two-minute report? Which I hate, by the way. Like, I think that is very counterproductive for the league, but did you see the last two-minute report uh, that released for the end of that Celtics-Pacers game? Oh, that was yesterday, right? When they basically said, like... They said, Przingis did, which I still, like, this isn't a fan in me. This is visually being there and looking at it. I thought that Chris Porzingis clearly hits Benedict Matherin on that triple. League says no, wasn't enough contact for a foul. They did, though, which, again, it's kind of a double-edged sword here. You say that one foul doesn't happen... But they did affirm the overturn that happened on Jalen Brown getting hit in the head, allegedly, right? Like, the Celtics are very mad about that. You brought it up yesterday. There was a discussion on Twitter. Oh, this, the fix is suddenly in for the small market. Pay- well, it wasn't a foul. They were right when they challenged. They were right when they overturned it. Just apparently they were wrong on the Porzingis foul. But anyway. Uh, this from Don Hall. Jake, Xavier Johnson not only hit him in the jewels, he also grabbed and yanked. He should never wear an Indiana uniform again. I love this point right here. It's perfect. He reminds me of Draymond Green in the sense that he will sooner or later do something that will hurt the team. Sooner or later? (laughs) You mean like for the seventh time? Here's the thing about Xavier Johnson. This is the one thing about Xavier Johnson that that I actually can appreciate. He's the one consistent aspect of Indiana basketball. He's the one guy that I can look at and say, finally, a college athlete that stayed around college in more schools longer than I did. Right? You're willing to pass that torch? Sure. I mean, but I didn't go around like when I got my you stopped hitting people in the when I got my senior year. That's when good. I got my fourth chance, I took the most of it. Sure, right? Yeah. When I got my fourth chance, I went there and said, "You know what? Enough's enough. I'm going to get this done, and I'm going to buckle down, and I'm going to do it." Now, granted, I was 50, but but he's 24 years old. You know, they really say they've done studies on he's this. He's 25 percent the age of half of the guys he's on the floor with. There should be a maturity level there, right? 
Yeah, but they've done studies on it though, Jake. Usually you don't get your last nut shot in until after you've turned yeah, 25. Okay. I mean, okay. it's just, it's, That's you got to take good. that into account. Okay. It's important. Uh, there we go. Nice work there. Thank you. I mean, honestly, if there wasn't a precedent, at some point he's going to do something for Indiana where you're going to have to say to yourself, it's on you, Indiana, that's on you. Everybody and their mother knew that this guy eventually was going to embarrass your program. What's it going to take? They just thought people would forget about it. He was doing 90, driving around Bloomington. People just forget about it. We're not going to say that we're going to handle it internally. Because it's the offseason, and you know what? We need shooters. We think maybe C.J. Gunn might be able to shoot, but like then he goes out there in the games, and uh, okay. And Gabe Cups is like the Ohio Damon Bailey, but we're not sure he's ready to shoot yet, but wait till you see him. He's going to be a great player and save the franchise and, and the, or the program, and you know he's going to be, because he's a big-time recruit. And McKenzie and Baco, I mean, that, that guy's the best shooter that we've had here since Jimmy Rail, but just wait. I mean, it'll come eventually. Sometime around June, it's really going to come together for him. And you're going to see how why he's a top five recruit, except for at that point he's going to enter the either the portal or the draft lottery. Um, and Khalil Ware, I mean that guy can really shoot. At, you know, and he would have shot a lot more at Oregon if they hadn't actually run him off, even though he was a top five recruit. And for some reason they didn't want him anymore because he didn't care about the way he played. But that's cool. I mean, you know, I mean he'll be great in Indiana. Just wait. I mean he's going to be great, just like Hunter Perea was. I mean, come on. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I'm just fatigued by it. So I decided here's what we're going to do. I got a question for you on the other side that's going to cleanse our palate. Okay. We're going to cleanse our palate Love and we're going to do it. Cleanser. We're going to do it in group therapy. I want people calling in right now, whether you're an Indiana fan or Purdue fan. This is one of the beautiful things about today. One of the beautiful things about today is kumbaya. We're all going to come together because Purdue fans, Indiana fans, we're all in the, right now. We're in the same vat of suck. So we're going to actually talk it out and we're going to work it out. And we're going to do so in an exercise that I guarantee is going to be fun for people. So I need callers to call in at 239-1070. And Jimmy, you and I are going to hold hands, not really, but figuratively, and we're going to work this out, and we're going to get through it together today on a hump day Wednesday. The, the hump feels like Mount Everest. My heart already feels warm. Thank you. That's what we're going to do next. I, I need audience participation. Please, I'm asking, I'm begging of you. But Jimmy and I are going to talk some things out. Okay, this from Jennifer from the IU side. I can't call in, Jake, but I'm a lifelong IU fan. This team has zero chemistry. We have too many four and five stars playing their way to the NBA and not playing for the movement to win a college game. There isn't a lot of love between the players. I agree with that. By the way, Xavier Johnson, leaving the team hotel and getting suspended in Chicago, that's strike one, right? Yes. You make a mistake. Good kid, bad decision. Felony charge of driving recklessly while doing, like, hot riding up Walnut. Granted, that was dropped down, I think, to, like, a misdemeanor. Um, 
but like in the off season. So he's smart in that regard, right? Good decision. Good decision to make a bad decision in a time when nobody pays attention. But that was probably strike two, right? I would agree. Okay. Coming back in game, what is this for him? Game two or three back from injury? Three. And getting ejected from a game when your team desperately needs outside shooting? What number strike would that be? Hold on. I think three. Okay. I don't know if Amtrak has a, a train that goes from New Jersey back to Indiana. But it shouldn't be on the team flight, right? We appreciate your efforts. We're hopeful that in the six years of eligibility you had that you got what you needed out of the college experience, but we're going to go ahead and go in another direction. We've enjoyed the experience. We th- like They should just send the email. Does he still get the sightseeing? This email tour? is to inform you that Xavier Johnson is no longer a, ba- a part of the Indiana basketball program. We thank him for his contributions, and we wish him the best in his future endeavors. Does he still get the sightseeing tour, or is it straight to Amtrak? You can sightsee in New Jersey if you want. There's a lot of gardens there. Yeah. It's the Garden State, okay. you know? Okay. Maybe go see where Springsteen went to high school. <laughs> All right, here's what we're doing in group therapy. Speaking of that, we're going to start with Roger. So I'm going to have us – Roger's going to be my guinea pig. Roger, did you ever have a guinea pig when you were a kid? Uh, no, I did not have that pleasure. Okay, well, I, I, you sound, but Roger, you said I can already tell you're a fun guy, right? I try to be. I like that. I, I like that. Now, Roger, I've got a couple questions for you, and the reason I say you're the guinea pig is because those that are listening are going to understand the therapy that we're doing together here, and you're going to set the tone for everybody. Is that cool? Uh, let me try. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Roger, already, I can tell you're fun. Okay. Uh, now, Roger, you are, if you had to pick, and it, maybe it's not definitively one way or the other, but are you? would you say that you're an Indiana fan, a Purdue fan, or just an overall fun guy? Hey, I my father introduced me to Lou Watson and the Hoosiers back in the 60s, so I've been an IU fan a long time. Okay. So, so And last night was rough on you, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Roger, here's my question for you as part of group therapy, okay? I want you to tell me this, Roger. What's the first concert you ever attended in your life? Uh, Santana. Ooh, Santana. How was that show, by the way? It was awesome. How old were you, Roger, at the time? Uh, 14. Oh, okay. And that would So that would have been probably, and I'm not trying to, to you know, put a date on you, Roger, but that would have been pre-Market Square Arena days. So would that have been... Uh, where did you see Santana? Maybe like Butler Hill, or where would that have been? Yeah, you're close, but where would the concert have been? That was at the state uh, Indiana State Fairgrounds okay, Coliseum. Okay, the Coliseum would have been actually probably my next guest. And so, Roger, with that, uh, I, w- I need you to close your eyes for me, Roger. And maybe you didn't do this at the age of 14 seeing Santana yet because you weren't per- you know, getting the true Santana experience yet. But um, if you were to tell me the best concert you ever went to, Roger, who would it be? A uh, little feet. <laughs> okay, and that would have been. Was that also at the Coliseum? Uh, no, that was down in Richmond, Virginia. Okay, then last one for you, Roger. <clears throat> if you could pick right now, you can go to any concert right now, and if you can, if it's a band that is no longer together, you're allowed to reassemble said band for the viewing pleasure of Roger. Uh, but there cannot be more than one deceased member. Okay, because we're going to reincarnate somebody. Uh, what band would you pick? Who, or, or solo artist, either one? Um, you know, it would be a combo if this could work. Okay, sure, yeah. Let's go with it. Um, have Linda Ronstadt mm-hmm. with Little Feet. Okay. Now, do we know okay. if Linda Ronstadt has Little Feet? Because that actually, there's probably some sort of an article somewhere about something like that, right? 
Uh, it's just the way she sings Willen. Okay, fair enough. Now, Roger, uh, <laughs> here's the thing, Roger. You sound like, would you like to come to my PBR party sometime? Diet Cokes are perfectly sufficient, but I'd like to just sit around and watch a game with you and drink a PBR and listen to Little Feet. Hey, let's do it. <laughs> See, Roger, do you feel better about last night's experience now that we've gone down memory lane? Oh, absolutely. Well, see, that's what I like. Roger, our guinea pig. I appreciate it, Roger. Have a wonderful one other, hump day. One one other thing, Jake. Yes, sir. If we could follow up, uh, I am planning on going to the Long Beach race this spring. It's the best. Okay. And maybe we could touch base on you have a lot of knowledge, having been to Long Beach, or where to stay, and things to do prior to. Roger, do you have my cell phone number? I do not. You got a pen and paper? I am ready, sir. Here we go. 317 is the area code, obviously, right? Five two three ninety two eighty eight. Five now, two three ninety two eighty eight. You got it, Roger. Now here's the thing. I will not only tell you the best places to be in Long Beach, but depending on what time I come in, if you want, and this is, believe me, people pay top money for this at celebrity uh, charity auctions. I'm, I'm not a celebrity, but at charity auctions. Um, you can do the uh, Haunted Hollywood Death Tour with me if you'd like. I can show you where at least three different famous people were killed in L.A. during part of my tour on Saturday night. Well, that would be exceptional. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Roger. We're in. You text me, right, buddy, and we'll do it. All right. All right. That's, all right, that's Roger it. from, we're, we're, he's now Roger from Long Beach. You didn't give him an important disclaimer, though. You're guaranteed to get yelled at by one resident of Long Beach on oh, that tour. Oh, no question. <laughs> that's, that's no in there. question. Just be warned. Listen, I, I got the whole thing down pat, though. When it comes to the tours of Southern California, I'm all about it. All right. I like Ike on line number two. Ike, what's up? Hey, I just wanted to call and say that, uh, I've been watching the Big Ten for a long time, and the one thing that I recognize by watching that league is that you get your behind handed to you on the road most of the time in that league. So, I mean, you're not kidding. I, there, and, and here's the other thing, Ike. It does feel like, you know, I guess in Purdue, in defense of Purdue, and this is probably the case, Ike, for a lot of teams, you know, everybody's going to have this happen. But it does feel like in those two games, and this is maybe good for Purdue. Are you? Let me ask you this, Ike. Are you Indiana Purdue or just kind of neutral? I'm IU fan. I went to Ball State back in 1972. Bobby Knight brought the Hoosiers to town. I got to the game late, and Jim was like, "I said, well, why's everybody so quiet?" And I <laughs> sit there and watch them dismantle Ball State. That I've been a Hoosier fan ever since. All right, fair enough. Because here's the thing, thing. I they, they, one more thing. Well, go ahead. As far as the Hoosiers and the Colts go, I've seen both of them win the championship. And back when I was I was just chilled over Peyton Manning and them, and I vowed, I said, boy, if the Colts can just win one of these Super Bowls, I'll never complain again. So I realized how hard it is to run the gauntlet in all these sports, and I'm just sitting back just enjoying life because I've seen us win. See, I, so, I guess the best approach, man. Where did you go to high school, Ike? I went to Short Ridge High. Oh, uh, man. I'll tell you what. Short Ridge was just named one of the 10 most beautiful high school buildings in the country. Did you know that? It was a great school. When Blue I Devils, baby. You know, and uh, I got to see a lot of great basketball at Hinkle Fieldhouse. And uh, I love basketball. But when the Colts came to town, I became an NFL loving them. I was a Packer fan before those days. 
Well, I see. Here's the thing. Ike, this is what today's therapy is all about. And I appreciate you participating in it. And that's about trying to find something to which to feel good about. Right. You've seen championships. You saw Indiana come in and, and beat your beloved Ball State Cardinals. But you realized and appreciated what you were seeing. You became an Indiana fan. And you know that there is some solace in what took place because life on the road in the Big Ten's tough. What happened to Purdue last night, I think, is the fact that Nebraska and Northwestern were able to play really physical. That's Purdue's two losses were two teams that were able to play really physical against them. And you can see what happens when teams get physical. And maybe that's good for Matt Painter's Boilers to learn that now because they're going to get a taste of that probably in March because the blueprint's out. Corbin joins us. Corbin, what's up? We got Cor- There we go. Corbin, what's going on? Steve, Jake, Steve. Oh, Steve, what's up? Hey, you know, your, your period of self-help is not long enough because it needs to go 24 hours earlier than the Colts lost. You need to look at Butler having an 18-point turnaround against the current national champion. I know, man. That Connecticut game was right there in their hands, wasn't it, Steve? It sure was, Jake. And I felt bad because I had an extra ticket and I didn't reach out to you soon enough to invite you to sit with me at the game. Hey, you know what, Steve? I appreciate that. But here's the thing. I would have gotten you sick probably um, – because I was resting up, uh, I was I had a cold. I was resting up to make sure I'd be good enough to go to the Colts game for a little bit, and which I was able to do, thankfully. Uh, so all is good. But I appreciate the offer as always, Steve. Here's my question for you. You ready? I'm ready. If I was right now going to give you the opportunity to go to any U.S. city and spend a weekend and just tour around, have fun, soak in the weather, soak in the atmosphere, you're going where? U.S. city. Yes, U.S. city. Um, I would like to go to Miami, Florida. That's not a bad call. You've been to Miami, right? I've been to Miami, yes. Yeah, the weather would be good right now, right? So we just cl- uh-huh. everybody just close your eyes and and let's all just pretend that you're in Miami, right? There's there's your getaway. And Steve is correct, by the way. I should have thrown Butler into the mix because, um, like I said, just it's been rough all the way across the board, right? Yeah, Butler had that game, just couldn't get enough defensive stops late, and UConn's defending national champions, one of the top teams in the country, but. That's one in a couple weeks you'll look back on and wish you could have had it. All right, let's go to Matthew. Matthew, what's up? Hey, Jake. Good afternoon. So, Matthew, are you moving to Indianapolis? This is Matthew in Maine, and I know that you had said that you were going to move here. Is that definitive or is it still in the works? Uh, it is still in the works, but it's uh, hopefully it can be definitive soon. And this I mean, would I be when? a place to live. This um, would be when? I'm hoping February. Oh, wow. Okay. So now, Matthew, for those that are unfamiliar, is it okay if I if I mention your situation on the air? I, I won't yeah. if you don't want me to. Okay. So Matthew Absolutely. lives in Maine. You had, was it a flood that went through there? Yes. So your home was flooded. Uh, you're dealing with that insurance, you know, red tape and all that, all that crap. And, you know, it's not fun, I know. Um, my question for you is this. You have found a home in Indianapolis, literally here, hopefully within the next month, but kind of figuratively through a number of different avenues, you become an adopted Hoosier. So is there anything that the listeners of this program, Matthew, can do for you still to help you in the situation where you have been displaced from your home because of a natural disaster? Oh, that is a good question. Um, There is an apartment in Indianapolis that I've applied for that hopefully I'll get into when it's time to move into it it is going to be pretty empty because I lost all of my furniture in the flood so we're going to need we're going to need to find out you're going to give me a list of what sort of furniture you need 
We're going to find out who has extra furniture in that regard, and then we're going to make sure that we get, like, a truck and a couple of extra hands, and we're going to move it in and furnish it for you. How's that? Cool? Yeah, that sounds amazing. Okay. Now, Matthew, you obviously know how to get a hold of me. So when you when the time comes and you have itemized what you need, you give me that list. We'll get it out to the listeners of this show. Everybody's always usually got, like, something extra in the basement, that kind of thing. Um, and we will be able to come up with what we can, and then we'll come over so that when you move in, you're not moving into something totally empty. Does that work? Yes, it does. Okay, Matthew, you send that to me, and we'll get it going. See, that's, again, that's the part of, and Matthew, I appreciate it, and we wish you the best out there in Maine. That's that's part of the therapy, Jimmy, right? Exactly. People, people can know that they have a chance. Matthew gives real perspective here yep. because of a terrible disaster that happened in Maine. Matthew lost his home. Uh, one of his cats, hopefully they found it. The other two pets were were accounted for. Um, but a totally life-changing event. Yeah. So we want people to come together to help that out. And then you feel better about the fact that, that Indiana and Nebraska got beat on the road. Or, or, excuse me, Indiana and Purdue got beat on the road at Rutgers and Nebraska, respectively. We'll go one more with Donna. Donna, how are you? Uh, it's Connor. Pleasure to be on the show. Connor. Okay, sorry, Connor. I don't know why I got Don on that. This, this computer <laughs> looks a little odd. Okay, Connor, what's going on? Not much. Two tough losses yesterday. Really bummed out. That gave me a bit of hope, the last caller. Um, just want to see how IU kind of responds to some of this. Um, they should have got that win last night. Want to see how they respond. I really do worry. Um, maybe we just don't have the guys. Now, Connor, you are a fan of Indiana over Purdue, I assume, right? Uh, I live in Indiana, downtown Indianapolis. I'd say I'm non-biased towards either, which makes the game against the two very fun to watch. Yeah, th- no, that's true, man. That's the best That's the best case scenario right there, right? Because I do think it'll be a good game. Uh, where did you go to school, Connor? Or I like- went to Greenwood High School, graduated in 2018. Okay, so you don't have a rooting interest either way. Are you Purdue? You're neutral either way. Neutral either way. I would say I side Notre Dame football, but as far as basketball, I just like watching hoops. Okay, so let me ask you this. You've watched a fair amount of Purdue, I assume, right? Both, yeah, Purdue. Okay, so if Indiana calls you, if Mike Woodson calls you, and he's like, hey, Connor, I, mean, I know we said you, we thought your name was Donna, but um, <laughs> but I'm curious, you know, you, you watch a little of us play. Um, what do you think is the key to beating Purdue? What would you say? Um, I think Ware's going to have a tough time. you got to feed Renew. I've been impressed with Mbako shooting lately. Um, I see if you can get the ball in his hands and kind of isolate him against some of their uh, younger guard forward players. You know, good point on Renew. He is a good player, man. I mean, they've done a really nice job, I think, of getting – if anything, this year, the one bright spot for Indiana – I mean, there's been bright spots, Connor. I appreciate it. Did you say Greenwood or Center Grove you went to, Connor? Oh, boy, it's Greenwood. I'm the little brother. Okay, so are you a Packers fan since they have the same helmets, basically? Uh, I am not. I I respect the Packers, but I'm a Woodman for life. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Connor. Go Woodman. Um, look, Renew has played well for them. That's been a bright spot for Indiana. And that's – I think they need to – and Khalil Ware is a talented guy. I get it. And kidding aside and, and you know, the sarcasm and everything else, the reality is that I was just really disappointed – in the performance of of Xavier Johnson, not just in the fact, I get the fact that it takes you a while to get your shot going in college basketball, but the reality is that 
you have to be more composed than that at this point in your career. You just do. And it's really disappointing to see somebody go out there and whether it's just the player, he may not be a bad guy. I don't know him personally. But you expect more from a veteran player who, as I mentioned, is older than one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine members of the Indiana Pacers. So with that, you know, players a lot, you, you hear people say like, well, the thing I loved about, you know, Coach Knight is guys went in there as boys and they came out as men. I, that happens to most people between the ages of 18 and 22. It's a natural process. And except for apparently in the case of Xavier Johnson, I'm the first to admit it took me longer. I was pretty immature at that age, so maybe I'm throwing stones here. But I also wasn't given, like, the repeated chances on that platform that he's been given. I mean, suspended for leaving the team hotel in Chicago, and and we all know the rumors of what took place there. Picking up a felony charge in the offseason for reckless driving that then gets lowered down, and so there's no discipline that takes place externally. Missing games, coming back from injury, going in, creating a totally boneheaded play and bailing on your teammates while they get pounded by a lackluster team on the road. Eventually, you simply have to say, enough is enough. Zach Osterman coming up just a couple of minutes. Uh, several people chiming in to me, by the way. Uh, hey, Jake. I like this guy that, that says this to me. You're preaching the same crap I've been saying about Xavier for two years. Welcome to reality, that everyone. Thanks for joining me. Let's care after he helps ruin two seasons. Classive, reactive move. IU is never proactive. I, there is definitely, at, at, there, there comes a point, right, where you're just like, okay, enough. I mean, there should be, but again, I don't, I don't think they can be what they want to achieve and reach this year without him based on roster construction, which is why you would think he would understand that as a 24-year-old and a veteran of Indiana. But clearly he does not. Matt Painter wasn't happy, Todd Meyer was saying, about the court rush last night, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... I get it from his perspective to an extent because... And it's a... You mentioned it off air, Jake. It's the best compliment you can pay to a program because they're consistently totally ranked number one or in the top five. And there's a lot of teams like Nebraska. It's the first time in 42 years that they've beaten a ranked team, let alone at home. You're going to court store. Are you wearing Kansas City Chiefs shoes? No, these are just uh, Air Force Ones that are red and white. Okay. And and you're, are you wearing cargo, like capri pants? Uh, I think are they're you just, going with the- just sweatpants. So you don't you're not intentionally pulling. No, they, correct. They just no, happen yeah, to just have to be. You're style. not going with the Euro look of like you know. So fun fact, the short pant look. Fun fact, we lost our luggage when we went to London. Lost it for a day, so I had to go out and you know I needed clothes. So I got a pair of sweatpants from across the ponds. So maybe that's what it that's is. Maybe it's, cool. maybe it's a style look. So my mom, I think I told you, my mom in 1988 went to Africa, and had taken an, a carry on bag of clothing to give to charities there, and they lost her luggage. And they never did, she never, the whole time she was in Africa, they never found it. So we have pictures in my mom's house of her wearing like, at the Sphinx, wearing parachute pants and like Coca-Cola shirts. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Okay, speaking of clothes, by the way, here's a good trivia question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Jimmy and Corbin, who's in for Eddie today. Eddie's off because of his uh, anniversary, is that yep. right? Okay. Um, the other day I was bored, clearly. So I went online and I did this thing where there's a, a wheel, uh, literally it's an online, you know, it's just a website. 
you click on it and it spins a wheel and lands on, lands on a random U.S. state. Okay. I'm like, I just want to buy a college sweatshirt. So I, I spin it and I randomly land on New Hampshire. Okay. So then I, I Google colleges and universities in New Hampshire and I'm going to buy a sweatshirt from one of these schools. Okay. So this is the sweatshirt I have. Can you please read it, Jimmy? Franklin Pierce University. Can you tell me who Franklin Pierce is? I cannot. Corbin? Uh, revolutionary, wasn't he? Wasn't he in the Revolutionary War? Okay, is that your answer? That is my answer. Okay. I have a theory. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I did a, a test for a long time when I worked in retail where I would have a list of what I believe to be the eight most obscure U.S. presidents and I would ask people, mm. which of these is not a U.S. president? And I had Ben Franklin on the list. Um, most people were like, I don't think Ben Franklin was a president, was he? In my opinion, the two most obscure presidents by name in U.S. history, Chester A. Arthur, although that extra A helps, and Franklin Pierce. Franklin Pierce is a U.S. president from New Hampshire. We were in Loudoun for the IndyCar race years ago. Mark Jaynes and I were like, hey, let's go find the grave of Franklin Pierce, like U.S. president. We went to the cemetery, which was in a chain-link fence area, and it was one, literally the headstone was falling at a 45-degree angle, and on the other side of the chain-link fence was like this like small kind of dilapidated house with a baby pool and a baby in the diaper. And Mark James looked at me, I'll never forget, and goes, one moment you're president of the United States, next moment your tombstone is leaning over, two random IndyCar guys from Indiana are looking at your headstone while a kid in diapers is 50 yards away. Like, yeah, that's the way it works. Zach Osterman next. This song was so big when it came out, like an entire summer. And then later you find out that it was just literally done on a bet of Mark Knopfler overhearing two guys talking in a hardware or a, uh, an electronic store and writing down their conversation and seeing if he can make a song out of it, which is awesome because it was literally one of the best songs of the 80s. Um, Joining us now on the program, and by the way, good afternoon to you here on a Wednesday. My name is Jake Query, Jimmy Cook here as well. Eddie Garrison is celebrating his anniversary today by going to the Pacer game because when he is not running the board for the Indiana Pacers, he's celebrating his anniversary by going and seeing them live. <laughs> Joining us now on the program, a guy that I'm sure probably has his arms up in the air in terms of what we've been talking about all day is Zach Osterman. Uh Zach, first off, and I am always going to take opportunity to pat myself, pat myself on the back over this because I say it every time. But like in the 10 years now that you and I have known each other, I think that's the first time I did not ask for clarification on the pronunciation of your name. Do I get a ribbon? You know what you get? You, you get to choose. You get, you get one of two. Okay. You get money for nothing or the chicks for free. <laughs> <laughs> that is outstanding. <laughs> well played, by the way. You know, well played. We got to install some microwave ovens while we're at it, right, Zach? It it is a great song. I mean, it's 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 so catchy. As somebody who 
and you'll hate me for saying this, but I feel like that migrated to quote unquote oldie stations like sometime when I was in high school. That depressing. Like it, yeah, I mean, well, you, you got to remember where I'm at now, where the stuff, the concerts I was going to 20 years ago, are like what the kids sing at bars now, and I'm just like, what's what's going on? What are you people doing here? So, well, just wait until the music. Just wait till the music that you were listening to in bars is now being played in elevators. I mean, that's when it's really like, holy cow. <laughs> Like, what are we if doing here? If somebody starts screaming Mr. Brightside at me in an elevator, I'm calling the police. That's exactly right. Hey, um, listen, l- let's start with this. I, how is Xavier Johnson, like, still doing this at 24? Yeah, I think the – well, <laughs> do you mean playing college basketball or do you mean uh, specifically what happened? Yeah, just – just, ha- I mean, uh, okay, kidding yeah. aside, I mean, look – the reality yeah. is, this, I know he's a talented guy, Zach, and I don't know him as a guy. I, he may be a super nice young man. I don't know. But it just seems to me like at some point you have to say to yourself, we are playing the law of averages and it's not working in our favor because the law of averages says he's going to do something stupid that hurts the basketball team more often than he's going to help. And I think, I mean, what I would say, I don't know if this is in his defense so much as just kind of pointing out that, you know, he's. There have been moments when, you know, and, and you know I'm a, a big soccer fan. There, there are players who are very good at, for lack of a better term, um, winding up other players, winding up opposing players, just just little things that, that start to get guys frustrated and make mistakes and things. But sometimes when you live on that edge, obviously you kind of you kind of fall over the, the, the wrong side of it. I think that's a little bit of what happened with Xavier Johnson Tuesday night. I, I think – What's probably more frustrating, and Mike Woodson mentions, you know, it, it was it was interesting to me that Mike Woodson mentioned every senior by name, talking about leadership issues Tuesday night because he because he said, I don't have any problem with Anthony Leal. Anthony Leal's giving me everything I need, um, everything I everything I asked for. It's the other three, basically, is what he said. And he said it more artfully than that. But he named Xavier Johnson. He named Anthony Walker. He named Trey Galloway. And, you know, this is, what, three days after Xavier Johnson says, following the Ohio State game, you know, I've grown up. I'm still growing up. I'm always growing up. Well, then something like this happens, and and I understand anybody who sort of says, well, that doesn't – that doesn't really track, you know, that you can't, you don't get to kind of say that out loud and then have something like this happen and, and, and get that to sort of be, I don't know, the narrative you're pumping or whatever term you want to use. Um, but I think it's clear that, you know, one way or the other, it is contributing to a wider frustration that Mike Woodson is feeling heavily enough to be willing to talk about it in public. Zach Osterman is our guest. Zach, when you look at the rest of the season, there's no doubt that there will be opportunities for them to secure quad one wins because of the nature of the Big Ten, and there will be opportunities for them to fine-tune a tournament resume. When you look at their body of work five games into the Big Ten schedule, albeit very early, but at this point in the season, are they capable of taking advantage of those opportunities? And how much of it comes down to a guy like Xavier Johnson, a guy like Trey Galloway, the seniors that Mike Woodson is calling out, being more consistent on a nightly basis? I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to have your doubts if you have them um, over whether they are capable at this point, unless Ohio State net ranking has jumped and I didn't notice it. Indiana didn't have a quad one win right now. 
Um, obviously, the Michigan win. And again, I haven't looked. At, admittedly, I haven't looked at the net in the last like 48 hours. So if something's changed, somebody feel free to correct me. But the Michigan win has not aged well. That's not on Indiana, but it's not helping Indiana. Um, they obviously didn't get much out of, of anything out of a non-conference season. You know, you right now you're in a situation where I don't think Indiana's got a quad one win. And listen, it's you know, I say this all the time. It's it's January 10th. I, I my personal rule of thumb is to keep a real uh, a real damper on discussing bracketology and things that that sort of specifically you know sort of projectable until after Valentine's Day. That always feels like when it kind of becomes less theoretical and more real. Um, having said all that, you know the, the talking point, frankly, of the Big Ten season for a lot of teams is there aren't going to be many of these quad one opportunities. You know, realistically, the conference just isn't in a place where it's putting a lot of those on the table. And when you see Indiana struggle to beat Rutgers on the road, um, obviously struggle with games like UConn and Auburn, um, then it's it's kind of hard to make, you know, a really compelling case for the idea that Indiana's, for example, going to be able to – let's say sweep all of Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan State at home, plus grab, you know, something of at least some quality, like, for example, maybe in Ohio State on the road. Um, because the the opportunities, the Big Ten is not sort of overflowing with opportunities for these kinds of wins this year. And at the moment, anyway, I, I don't really blame anybody who says, I, I don't know, any, you know, I don't really blame any Indiana fan who says, I'm not sure I see this team is capable of doing enough in those situations to build a tournament resume, given that there really is nothing carrying over of quality from the non-conference. Now, again, I come back to, you know, like I think basically today, a year ago, Indiana was in the midst of, or maybe at the tail end of that three game losing streak that a lot of us thought, Jesus, this team, you know, has it, has it kind of lost itself? Is it in a tailspin? Xavier Johnson might be out for the year and, they can't play defense and how's this all going to fix itself? And obviously they did. So that's why I always sort of exercise caution when you have these conversations in early mid January, but I'm not sitting here and telling anybody who feels like Indiana's got some, that there are maybe some warning signs um, on Indiana's resume so far that they're, they're wrong to feel that way. Zach Osterman is our guest from the Indianapolis star talking about Indiana basketball. Zach, I really do like, and look, Indiana has individual talent. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, I think they're still learning through how to mesh all that together. We'll see if they, you know, if they can get that in the right direction. But is Malik Renew a good enough player that they can epicenter him in the offense? I know Khalil Ware is good, but is it feels to me like Renew a lot of times his points are coming kind of because they go to him because defenses are shifted elsewhere and, and Renew takes advantage of that, and he has played very well. Is he good enough, or have they basically said he is going to be the primary focal point of our offense? I think he can be, and, you know, this is – I got some heat last night for saying Indiana's a young team on Twitter, but if you, if you just look at the numbers, I mean, they're outside – you know, Ken Palm keeps a, um, a stat called Division One experience. Indiana's outside the top 200 nationally in that statistic. So they are a young team. And when you consider 
how little basketball a lot of these players have played together. They're even younger um, in terms of, you know, in particular, maybe navigating, for example, a tough road environment like the Rutgers uh, on Tuesday night. And I think Renew is both a promising young player, one that you can see a lot of obvious growth from last season to this season. He's fouling less. He's scoring more. Um, his assist rate isn't necessarily, for example, what Trace Jackson Davis's was a year ago, but it's still the best on the team, which obviously maybe, you know, says something a little bit about Indiana's guard play, but also says, you know, shows what Renew, who I think had a seven assists, if I'm not mistaken, last night, shows a little bit of what he's capable of as a, a passing big. And you also look at the growth of his offensive game. I'd argue he might be Indiana's most dangerous three-point shooter right now when you combine his accuracy with – you know, the likelihood of the sorts of defensive matchups he's going to get and the fact that he's probably going to be prone to getting a few more open threes for the moment anyway than a lot of his teammates. Um, But, and we've had this conversation, you know, around more experienced and and probably more talented bigs than Malik Renew. I'm thinking about Trace Jackson Davis, you know, possibly Juwan Morgan, um, some others in recent years. You know, if you can't, do the things that face the floor, move the ball, limit turnovers that a team needs to do if it is really genuinely sort of going to, I don't want to say sell out, but but really invest in building around sort of a, a centerpiece big as, you know, 1A, 1B, whatever it may be in your offense, then you're going to struggle at times. And I think that's a little bit of what you saw last night, how many times – did Rutgers just completely collapse defensively um, or go to that matchup zone that paid very little respect to Indiana's ability to hit threes and Rutgers, you know, I mean, it was not a, it was not frankly a, a dissimilar game plan to the one that Rutgers ran at Indiana last year um, at the rack and a game that went frankly, even worse for Indiana, both in terms of the final score and kind of the complexion of the way the game unfolded um, basically just, suggesting Rutgers didn't think Indiana could shoot Rutgers out of those defensive coverages. And for two straight seasons, Indiana couldn't. So it's a little bit of, I do think Malik Renew is improved at a level where you could look at him and you could say, that's one of the eight to 10 most productive players in the big 10. That's the sort of player that can be again, one a or one B for a good team. That's the sort of player that that should be commanding the kind of shot volume he's getting, the kind of possession volume he's getting. And you can also say in the same breath, but as we've said about Indiana in the past, if they can't space the floor better, if they can't move the ball better, if they can't take attention away from a big like that more consistently and more effectively, then he's going to wind up limited at times. And I just think that, you know, unless or until Indiana can do some things to, to free Renew or Kalel Ware. Sometimes it can be Kalel Ware. There's no, nothing wrong with that. But unless or until you can do the stuff that consistently frees those players up in the spots where they need the ball and they need the opportunities, you're going to have some nights where it just all gets bogged down and, look, frankly, looks a little ugly. Zach Osterman joins us, covers all things IU athletics for the Indy Star. Zach, you mentioned being able to space the floor, open things up for bigs down low. And then you look at over the last three or four seasons in the Mike Woodson era, struggles from beyond the arc, noted struggles from the charity stripe. How much of that is the personnel that's being recruited versus the play style in terms of it not being executed? 
I honestly am not sure anymore because you can go back to you can go back to Archie Miller's tenure and, and have all the same conversations. Right, right. It is bizarre at this point that Indiana and it's funny. Before last night, Indiana I think shot seven to seven to twenty six from three last night. But a lot of that, to be fair, was Indiana kind of chasing the game late, taking a lot of threes in the last seven eight minutes of the game, just trying to score quickly at volume. Before last night, Indiana actually, across its first four Big Ten games, had been shooting something like 41% from three. Um, but the problem with that was, not dissimilar to last season, it was never at very high volume. And so, while at least you're knocking down the threes you're taking, it's not really a prominent enough part of your offense for opponents to have to respect it. Um, you know, when you get a performance like last night, obviously it's just it's kind of a – a, a total zero, if not a, a negative in some respects. The free throw shooting is one of those things. First of all, obviously, four of 15 is, is probably going to be a bit of an outlier, but Indiana has struggled all year and has struggled, as you said, for the last few years in free throw shooting. That is actually the area where I think Indiana's got to be, got to find a way, whatever it is, to be sharper, just because of such a big part of this team's offense this team specifically with Xavier Johnson, with, with two bigs, with a bigger three in McKenzie and Baco, who's a good free throw shooter statistically. Uh, such a big part of this team's offense is its, its ability to get to the free throw line. And frankly, even, you know, it, it wasn't a huge volume number, but 15 free throws on the road in a Big Ten game is not a horrible number. Um, and that was free throw attempts, not makes, obviously. I made four of them. But if, if your offense isn't going to shoot threes at a high volume, if your offense is going to you know, ultimately wind up moving a little slower, as offenses tend to have to when you're going to play through the post the way that Indiana does, if you have the ability to get to the free throw line as consistently as Indiana's proven it can across the course of the season so far, you cannot waste those trips. And even, even if Indiana only shoots you know, 67% from the free throw line last night, that's six more points in a game they lost by nine. Suddenly, the last two minutes of that game take on a very different complexion. If you're only down by three, if you're only down by two, and, and Rutgers, I think, didn't hit a field goal over the last four minutes and 40 seconds of the game, so it's not like Rutgers was just sort of cruising by you. Um, it, it, those, those are the points that, like, if, if, if I'm Mike Woodson today, and, and I, don't, <laughs> I never want to put words in anybody's mouth, but if I'm the head coach and I'm looking at the stat sheet after the game, as much as people want to talk about turnovers or the threes or whatever, and I do think that 26 threes number was their highest single game attempt uh, total this year. The one that probably is, is the one that I can't let go of the most Wednesday morning is the free throw number, because even, even more or less meeting Indiana's season long free throw shooting average that's a one possession game with two minutes to go. And for all of the discussion of Indiana didn't play well and this and that, they still have an opportunity to win. They can't let that go. Hey, Zach, this is, uh, I mean, I'm literally asking this hypothetically. And, and along your lines of it's January, so it's kind of absurd to start talking like bracketology. I mean, I get that, right? But unless there is obviously a scandal, which is not, there's no reason to believe that's the case. If Indiana simply has a disappointing season in the win-loss column, is Mike Woodson at the point in his tenure where his seat could in fact be hot, or does he still kind of automatically, based on name and amount of tenure at this point, get another year, you know, 
does it even not even become discussed amongst Indiana brass? No, I, I, I don't think it gets discussed, to be completely honest. And I think, I mean, you know, I, I, there's always kind of this conversation to have about, you know, what the moment sort of tells you versus what the wider picture tells you. And, and I think both can be instructive at different times. Um, I would point out that, you know, a lot of people, including me, I mean, I, I think I picked Indiana sixth or seventh in the Big Ten this season, but I, I said when I did it that I just felt like I just kind of stuck them into the the vague middle of a conference with a lot of teams that it was hard to pin down. Um, you know, I think I had Ohio State 10th. I'll cop for that. Like, I just I didn't know what to expect because with the portal and roster turnover and all this, it's, it's just so hard to, to peg anymore. But a lot of people, including me, were saying, listen, you know, you don't get better very often for losing, you know, one of the most productive players of all time, for losing four or five starters, for losing three seniors, who've played all this basketball and all this basketball together and yada, yada, yada. I'm not suggesting Indiana fans shouldn't expect, like, the baseline to be make the NCAA tournament nearly all the time. I don't – like, that's not – that shouldn't be that hard. 68 teams get in, 30-whatever of them, 37, 38, whatever it is, get in is that large. You know, it, it shouldn't be that hard to make the NCAA tournament virtually all the time at a program like Indiana. Um, in the macro, if, for example, we get to this point next season, Mike Woodson's done some good work in the portal. He's got Liam McNeely in, who I think is going to be a quick impact player at Indiana. And I, I know people don't want to hear this stuff the day after a frustrating loss. But the point is, the macro sometimes it doesn't match up to what you see day to day. I do think there are still reasons why people within the department will feel like the program is on good footing and it's moving forward solidly, even if this season ultimately winds up outside the NCAA tournament, which let's be very fair. While I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, if the season literally just ended today, Indiana wouldn't be in the tournament. They wouldn't even be in the conversation. So, so let's, let's sort of be fair about where Indiana is right now. The short answer to your question, forgive me for rambling is, I don't think Mike Woodson is, is in any trouble. Um, I would be surprised if he was. And, you know, frankly, to, to some extent for a program that, uh, you know, said when it fired Tom Crean that it was doing that because it felt like basically season to season, the roster, the results, the outlook had become too unstable to be trustworthy long-term, then pivoted to a coach who didn't make the tournament once in four seasons, who was, I think, ranked for six of – 50-something weeks of basketball across those four seasons um, as head coach at Indiana. To go from that to a coach that comes in, makes back-to-back tournaments, back-to-back Big Ten tournament semifinals, you know, gets Indiana both recruiting and I guess the word would be drafting, I guess, at a level that it really hasn't seen, you know, for five, six, seven years. To put that coach on the hot seat after one frustrating season, I, I think would kind of run against the stability that Indiana is looking for. That's not to absolve Mike Woodson if Indiana doesn't make the tournament this season. I think he'd have to own that. I think he'd have to wear it. And I think, you know, there would have to be some conversations between him and Scott Dolson over how do we make sure this doesn't happen again in 2024, 2025. Um, but I don't think he'd be in trouble after this year. Zach, do you ever eat Lucky Charms? Did, did I ever eat Lucky Charms, or do yeah. I have any Lucky Charms? Do you yeah, ever eat them? Of Lucky Charms. What's that? Yeah. Do you like Lucky yeah, Charms? of course. I don't really eat cereal anymore. I have to. Uh, I have to admit, it's it's not in my diet very much. Really? Not like for like a, yeah. a midday snack? 
No, my kids don't eat it. No. So um, one of my kids eats toast. The other one eats yogurt. So I'm not a, we're, <laughs> not, put, a, we're not a cereal house. You put avocado on the toast? Uh, no, I put chocolate chips on his toast because it's the only way to get him to you eat know, it. What the hell? Thought, Hold on. <laughs> you're, sir, now, now, you're doing well here from a parenting standpoint. Well, you know, I don't, I don't go out with the sugar cereals because, you know, I've got kids now and I'm responsible and I feed them toast. What do you put on it? Uh, you know, just basically oh, mayo I, I, and chocolate chips. <laughs> if, I, if, I mean, if, if sugar cereal is what he'd eat in the morning, I'd give it to him. Okay, I mean, you know, right. he's five. I'm just, I'm just trying to get him to eat anything. So, so you, let's say you decide in that vein to go out and get a box of Lucky Charms. You, you open up the box and that little leprechaun fellow jumps out. And he's a fun guy, right? The little leprechaun guy. So he jumps out and he says, Zach, I just had a conversation with Mike Woodson. And Mike Woodson told me the two players that he, he I have, because I'm a leprechaun, I can do this. I told him I can pick any two players to maximize their potential of what Mike Woodson thought they were going to be this year, but yet they have fallen short so far. What two players did Mike Woodson tell the leprechaun? Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I think Debbie McKenzie and Baco, because I think you can see it sometimes, particularly offensively in, in, in recent games, you can see Mbako starting to sort of understand a little bit better where to find his shots, how hard to work for them, what's a good decision, what's a bad decision. I think where Mike Woodson might want the leprechaun's help is on defense and, and just sort of the, you know, getting Mbako to sort of understand, I, I don't know how to, maybe the same focus, for lack of a better term, on defense, that it seems like he's finding a little bit more the same, the same sort of perception and understanding that he's finding on offense, finding on defense. I, I guess the other one, the, the second one I would be curious about, because I could give you a lot of different answers to that. Could it be somebody like Xavier Johnson, whether it's obviously even irrespective of Tuesday night, He's missed basically half the season because of the injury, and Woodson just kind of needs him to be a more consistent presence. Would it be, you know, maybe somebody like Trey Galloway, not necessarily uh, haven't been on the floor, but Woodson would look at a game like Kansas and say, I'm not expecting you to score 28 a night, but I think you can be a more impactful offensive player than ultimately what Galloway's been able to carry over from last season when he shot the ball so well to this season when he's kind of struggled to find it. I also wonder if Woodson wouldn't look at, Somebody on his bench, whether it's a CJ Gunn or a Caleb Banks, you know, somebody who he could look at and say, I just, I, I think that there's more sort of two-way impact, again, using Gunn or Banks as examples, more two-way impact potential in there um, than, you know, those players have shown so far. And I know he got some kind of grief for his his handling of his rotations in the first half Tuesday. I'm not completely sure the – the, the, the complexion of the game actually bore out that criticism, but that's kind of a separate conversation. I would be fascinated to know who number two would be, because I think number one, especially because Indiana is pretty clearly going to persist with Mbaku at the three um, across the rest of the season. I've been intrigued by some of Woodson's smaller lineups with Anthony Walker at the four recently, but Mbaku has remained in Woodson's estimation of three. 
Um, I think Mbaka would be pretty clearly, you know, top of that list. And then I would be fascinated to know who would be number two because I think you can make an argument for, you know, three or four different guys, all of whom, if you could suddenly sort of snap your fingers and say, you know, I mean, like I, I remember two years ago, I, I found a stat that Ray Thompson was one of only two players in the Big Ten that had 18 games in conference play of at least eight points and six rebounds. And the point was other guys might do more, but there aren't that many players in the league who are more consistent in right. their baseline than Ray right. Thompson. If you could find a baseline for CJ Gunn or a baseline for Trey Galloway, I'd be fascinated to know who maybe that player would be for Woodson where he said, if there's just one guy that I can just every game, I know he gives me X, Y, and Z as a starting point. That changes the calculus for us. I'd be fascinated to know who that was. Indianapolis Star, where you can read Zach's work. Chocolate chips, all you need to join him for breakfast, as long as you got a toaster. <laughs> Zach, appreciate it as always, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. We come back. Matt Painter saw something last night that he did not like. He's seen it before, but he doesn't want to see it again. And I'm not talking about a loss. We'll explain. It was not the high-flying fun of Chicago for Purdue last night, but it probably made them think about last time they were in that area because it was against Northwestern where the Boilers got lost number one, and then last night in Nebraska. And Nebraska shot the ball really well. Purdue, the number one team in the land, sees their second loss of the year. By the way, I guess the one solace for Indiana fans last night, I guess there were two for Indiana fans, Um Indiana watching their team lose to lowly Rutgers, but at least Purdue lost, number one. I guess that's good if you're IU. And number two, um, the scumbag Kelvin Sampson and the Houston Cougars lost last night, which means the 76 Hoosiers, once again, the last one. Woo! Pass the champagne. Last unbeaten in college basketball, the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers. Houston last night, the last team to pick up their first loss of the year. But back to Purdue. The University of Kentucky, I've mentioned this before, proud basketball program, obviously one of the best, one of the most historic, and Rupp Arena, which is oddly attached to a mall. You ever been to a game at Rupp, Jimmy? Yes. It's like you walk through like a mall food court, and then you're like you're in an arena. And it's obviously a wonderful arena, and great teams have played there. But it's a kind of cavernous, by college basketball standards, I think it's a pretty non-intimate feel. It's not like the the fans are right on top of the game type thing. But Kentucky fans have always prided themselves on not doing what, Jimmy Cook? They do not court storm. They do not rush the court at Kentucky. Now, in Kentucky's defense... They rob their kids of doing fun things. Good job, Kentucky. They do, but in Kentucky's defense, particularly because they play in the SEC, Kentucky would have fewer opportunity for court storm than most places. Because, number one, how many teams in the SEC are you beating that merit a court storm? Ah, we beat Mississippi State. Let's go. Come on. Man, that pesky old Miss Rebel team. We took them down. Yeah, okay. Finally, we got Missouri. Yes. Exactly, right? Man, forever we've been trying to slay the dragon of Texas A&M. <laughs> now, I know Florida's had really good teams. Arkansas, obviously, has had really good teams. 
But even with those programs, you're Kentucky. And Kentucky's supposed to beat Arkansas and Florida State and most of those schools, right? So for in Kentucky's defense, there would be very few times where a court storm would even be appropriate. But in addition to that, the biggest reason why they don't court storm in Kentucky, aside from that, that arena is just not conducive for it. It's just not it, – it's it's hard to explain, but when you're there, you feel like you're a county over from where the game's taking place. You don't feel like you're, like, intimately part of the action, you know? But last night, Purdue gets beat, and it doesn't take long. The buzzer sounds – and here's the thing. You're a student at Nebraska, right? I like Nebraska. I like the people in Nebraska. I like the state of Nebraska. I like corn. Corn's cool. I love corn dogs. Like, what do they call it? Corn pudding? Big fan of corn pudding. Corn souffle, whatever you want to call it. I like corn corn flakes. I like corn. I like Nebraska. Got no problem with Nebraska. I like their mascot that Indiana replicated for like a year in 1977. It's cool. Met a couple of buddies when I was there tailgating for a Nebraska-Michigan game on my way through Lincoln a couple years ago. Cool. I like Nebraska. But the reality is if you're a student at the University of Nebraska, here is the schedule, socially speaking, for a Nebraska student, okay? <laughs> Tailgate football games, drink beer, August to November. Sometime around mid-September, realize you're not going to like a big bowl game. And then... You tailgate harder to make up for it. Correct. And then December to March, okay? Sit around, talk about the glory days of Tom Osborne and, and I don't know if college kids do that, but the fans would, um, and circle the dates and count them down till spring ball with the possible occasional diversion of a basketball game. And then it's like, oh, it's a Tuesday night. The Huskers are playing tonight. Let's go play basketball. Okay, cool. Let's go. So they go play basketball. And then something weird happens where it's like, oh, the number one team's in town. Well, here's the problem. We're on, the students are on break. And there's a snowstorm, which in Nebraska, people, you know, you need like three feet of snow to keep people in, right? It's a Tuesday. But there are probably some students that are hanging around. Like, you know, I know I hung around Bloomington because I had a job, like, you know, during break. I came, I went back. There were probably some students there, but but by and large, class is not in session. But nonetheless, game ends. And truthfully, what is the ultimate compliment to Purdue? The crowd rushes the floor, right? Because what else is there to do? You're like, oh my gosh, we got, we still got three months left till spring ball to find out if this is the year that our football team finally wins four games. Let's rush the court. Right? The number one team in the country is here. Let's rush the court. It's a compliment to Matt Painter and the Boilermakers, but it doesn't mean it's a compliment they enjoy. Matt Painter last night. So we got to do something about the court storms, guys. I don't know why institutions aren't ready for it. Like, what did you think was going to happen if they won? Like, spread the word. Spread the word before somebody gets hurt. But, you know, a student from Nebraska should be able to storm the court, right? Like, we're cool, but just, like, get ready for it. That's what you're going to do. So, like, we're, we're struggling in our conference with that. We got, we have, a, our freshmen, sophomore, and juniors have never lost a road game without a court storm. Think about that. So this isn't, think about that. Put that in your article. That part's pretty impressive. 
It's remarkable. Speaks to our larger conversation over the last weeks, months, years of the consistency at Purdue. Now, by the way, to his point, other conferences haven't figured it out in terms of safety. They have just decided, okay, we're going to become the no fun league or the no fun conference. We're going to start finding you. If you court storm, here's a hundred thousand dollar fine. Yeah, but does that really stop anybody? No, it doesn't. But like that's that's all that's been done in that, right. the history of court storming is hey, let's throw a monetary fine on it and maybe discourage college kids, college fans to not have fun when an upset happens. Listen, I'm the first to admit. When I was a student at Indiana, you know, I mean, it was during, like, Indiana was kind of also in that same vein of, like, Indiana just doesn't do that. You know, like, when when Knight was there, there was a holier than that. Like, we're above traditions that, you know, we just do it differently here. We're Indiana. Uh, okay. But when I was a student in particular, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't know that I, I, part of me deep down probably wouldn't think it's kind of cool now. But I'm a little old, right? Second half century, but it's but it's fun though. I mean, there there is an element, but to his point, and I don't know. There are not many times, Jimmy, where I wave a white flag of surrender of saying like I don't really know the answer here. But I don't know what the answer would be with court. I mean, I don't know how you curtail it to be honest with you. Well, here's a couple ways: you hire more security, I suppose. You stop I mean, the I handshake get- line. Like that's half the reason Purdue was. Still in the it's because we gotta got a handshake, got a handshake after the game. Like there's there's in theory solutions you could do, but barring more security and say, fans, fans, please wait two minutes for Purdue to get off the floor right, I mean, before you unleash your energy. Thank you. Outside of doing that, I I appreciate him saying they should still get to court storm. Because that's a different conversation when he adds that caveat in there. Matt Painter knows it's part of the game. Matt Painter knows it's going to happen. And basically what he said there, play that play that again, Corbin, off the top. Mitch, listen to what he what he says about students here. Go ahead, Corbin, play that again. So we gotta do something about the court storms, guys. I don't know why institutions aren't ready for it. Like, what did you think was gonna happen if they won? Like, spread the word. Spread the word before somebody gets hurt. But, you know, a student from Nebraska should be able to storm the court, right? Like, we're cool. Like, just, like, get ready for it. That's what you... Okay. So that's kind of what he's saying there, right? Like, look, you got the student section right there. Like, at Butler and Hinkle, you know, the students are right there, right? Yes. So it... it, You get it. Like, students are going to go down there because it's their their classmates. They want to jump up and down with them, whatever else. Now, I will say, a couple years ago, I was at an Indiana State-Butler game. And Indiana State beat Butler at Indiana State, and like fourteen students, and then one fifty-year-old coworker of mine stormed to the court. And if I'm that guy, I'm probably like, and and I think it was his Facebook profile pic for a while. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. But he's right. But but how do you say though? How do you police it of students only? Well, even that, it's a thousand kids. It's, you know, when you get into a an an unsafety in numbers, right? Area of it. I don't know. Did you when you were at Indiana, Jimmy? Was there ever a, a court storm? No, the only one I've ever been a part of. My dad had season tickets at Butler for years, and 
Butler beat Gonzaga on a Roosevelt Jones floater. Remember that? And I, I stormed with the students. Me you and my did. buddy did. Yeah, it was awesome. Now, once you got out there, so what do you do? You just high five a couple people for like, how long does the enthusiasm of the storm last? Well, there becomes a time where once all the jumping and celebrating is done, then it becomes like any post game. Think back to like high school days where like, oh, there's like 150 people on the floor just talking. What are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> right. Like, right. yes, there's an initial wave, and then it's like, okay, how do I, how do I get out? Where's the exits? You know, if you watch, I mean, the biggest court storm that I can recall was, remember when Indiana, the Watt shot, when Christian Watford beat Kentucky, and you see Anthony Davis walking off, and, you know, he's the one that I remember the most, kind of looking around, and and that was, there was one woman who was like a, some sort of online model or something from Kentucky that like rolled her ankle. And complained about it. And that that's what caused like the huge tip between Indiana and Kentucky. And then that's when you got the whole like we don't do that at Kentucky. And you know that shows your little brother. And then Calipari like never went back. That's the biggest court yeah. storm I can recall. I, there is an element of I mean one of my favorite like things to play is if I turn on. I'm not I'm not sitting here saying I'm advocating for court storms, but like there have been plenty of games where I turn it on. Iowa State hosting Kansas, and Kansas is down three with a minute to go. Part of it is how the game ends. Correct. If, it, in, if, right? if it's a buzzer beater, all bets are off. Correct. Like, forget that, about it. There's totally. no warning. Last night, I kind of get it, but I don't know if you're – like, the solution would be Purdue's down 10 with, like, a minute to go, and then what? You have, like, a timeout, and then they go over the PA like I did and say, okay, hey, we're going to let Purdue get off the floor when this ends, and then you can have at it. Maybe that's your solution, but then if I'm a, like a member of Purdue, it's like, oh, this we're just magnifying the loss further. Yeah, okay, I, I we mean, have an announcement about, hey, they're Can so bad. Can you imagine that? Right. They're so bad tonight, we need to give them time to get away. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Court storming is actually the ultimate compliment. Yes. Okay? And then the other one that's the biggest self-own that nobody thinks about is when the fans start chanting overrated. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. Why do you not realize the irony, fan? Correct. What are you doing? You're devaluing your accomplishments. That's exactly right. Purdue's overrated. Why? Because they're so bad, even we beat them. That's how that reeks, right? Yep. It makes no sense. But it turns out that in terms of post-game press conferences yesterday, Matt Painter was not the only one that was a little bit chirpy. Although I don't know that you would say Painter was chirpy there, but he clearly had something to get off his chest. So, too... Did his counterpart within the Big Ten within the state. And I'll explain that next. Ten minutes before the hour. My name is Jake Quarry. Jimmy Cook here as well. Eddie Garrison will be back. Is he back tomorrow? I believe so. Happy anniversary to he and Olivia. How many years do we know? I don't know offhand. Three years? I would say three or four. Going back in the memory bank. Sorry. Yeah, I, I know. I was trying to activate more brain power there. Three-year dating anniversary for Eddie and Olivia, right? Yes. Okay. Now, here's a question for you. Before we get to Mike Woodson, I I certainly hope that she's not going to be livid at me when I ask this question, okay? If Shannon and I have had one period where we were not together, not for very long, Does that get included in the totality of our time? Yes. So if someone says, like, how long have you guys been dating? 
if we've been dating technically twice, I guess, is, do I include the totality of it, or is it like, well, we've been dating for X number of years, and then prior to that, we were dating for X I mean, I feel like years. for some people, when it comes to like dating culture, there's different philosophies on that. The conversation is, does the calendar restart, or does it resume? And I've always been in the boat that it would resume. Okay, that's fair. Fair enough. Okay. Um, speaking of time periods and the way that they go on or are interrupted. Last night with time periods in terms of the minute distribution for Mike Woodson in Indiana, there was some question about it. And I think one of the things that Mike Woodson, and maybe he's actually a little bit like extra sensitive in this regard, because one of the critiques of Mike Woodson has been, be it fair or not, that Indiana's style in terms of the way that he approaches games, there have been those, and maybe it's just power of suggestion to people because of his background, but you do hear the conversation of, well, Woodson treats his style in terms of the way that he does substitution patterns like it's an NBA game. And maybe even in the beginning, he himself was ready to admit that at times he was still coaching like an NBA style or approach in terms of of substitution patterns and strategies as opposed to conforming to the college game. But last night, the minute distribution was very heavy towards his starters for sure. But he did go at one point, CJ Gunlog in 21 minutes, for example, he did go with a period where he had his bench out there together and things were getting away a little bit. And I think that Indiana fans would have liked to have seen him go back to getting, you know, Mbaco and Galloway and, and of course, Xavier Johnson did it to himself and should have been the final straw in my eyes. But nonetheless, afterwards, Jeff Rabjohns, friend of the show, asked Mike Woodson about minutes distribution. Mike Woodson, uh, less than thrilled. One of the biggest questions that fans were asking tonight on social media was why were four starters out at the same time versus sort of like maybe rolling them through. If I'm not going to sit here and, and – answer that question and when it comes to the fans or you I elected to go to my bench which I've done this season and I've gotten some good results here and there and tonight they didn't kill us but they let them back in the game I thought we withstood it here's the thing he did kind of answer the question right I'm not going to answer that question but right now here let me offer my answer I get what he's saying, Um, and I also understand, I do, I understand from Mike Woodson's standpoint why it's got to get tired of, it would be tired to hear things like fans want this, fans say this, fans on social media say that. It's not the job, like you can't get overly consumed if you're a coach or a general man. Two things you can't do when you are an administrator in sports, be it college or professional. The first is, you can't get consumed by what fans think. And the second is you can't dismiss what fans think. You can block it out and not buy into it and not believe in any of it. But you can't belittle the thoughts of fans. Because that's ultimately, you know, especially in the case of like Mike Woodson, I mean, fans are the reason that he's there. 
for any for any coach for any sport for any whatever i mean they're they're the ones in the end buying the tickets he did end up answering the question look this is what's worked for me in the past so that's why i went with it and more often than not i like my law of averages didn't necessarily work out tonight didn't totally kill us but maybe we didn't get what we needed out of that group in that moment that that was a perfectly sufficient answer would have probably left the first part out but i get i do understand where he's coming from and the fact that i'd be like yeah i don't I don't necessarily like sit here and buy into what is being said. You would drive yourself. We would this job. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, but going back to your point on the idea of an NBA rotation, you played 11 guys last night. Some of that you were forced to do because Xavier Johnson gets tossed with what? 13, 15 minutes left to play in that game. But you would hope as you get into crunch time, right? As you get into a point of the season where, it's all on the line, much like an NBA rotation, it gets shortened. Like that, that's a fair observation. Uh, and, and you see it all the time, both in the NBA and college. Maybe you're going to roll with more bodies in the meat and potatoes of the regular season. But if you're fortunate enough to be in a stretch run where either you're needing to win games to earn a tournament bid or you're fortunate enough to get in the tournament itself, yes, that is a look that should be trimmed down to eight guys. Ideally. I'm not going to answer to what the fans have to say. But in regards to that, allow me to say this. Uh, we'll talk Purdue. Alan Carpick next, right? Alan Carpick going to join us next. Hour from now, JMV will take over. We will continue our conversation, predominantly about Indiana and Purdue from last night. Focusing now on the number one ranked Boilers who suffered their second loss of the year. This time at the hands on the road of the hot shooting Nebraska Cornhuskers. Joining us now... On the program, it's always a pleasure when he does so. Alan Karpik from Golden Black. And Alan, I will begin with this while thanking you for your time. Did that game last night say more to us about Purdue or about the fact that Nebraska is a pretty darn good team in their own right? Well, Jake, hey, for thank you for having me on. I always enjoy it as well. Um, you know, that's a, good, that's a very good question. Uh, I, I do think, and, and you don't want to be dismissive when you lose a a game uh, the way Purdue did yesterday, but when a team shoots 14 of 23 from three uh, and throws in some shots, uh, Tomananga especially, but he does that. And it's not like that's new for him because he's been doing that for uh, Nebraska basically since he's been there, but they hit, they hit some huge shots in, in a time where, uh, you know, Purdue just didn't have, you know, when you have 14 turnovers, it wasn't the number of turnovers. It was when they had him in a game of run. So I'm going to say it says a little bit more about uh, about the job that Fred Hoiberg is doing in Nebraska and that Nebraska is not your grandfather's or your brother's or your father's Nebraska anymore. This is a team that's worthy of being being uh, going to make a chance, make a definite run in the NCAA tournament. But Purdue's got a, you know Purdue's got work to do and not a finished product. And you're not going to win many games. I don't think a lot of teams would have won yesterday the way that Nebraska shot the basketball. But Purdue, you know, needs to cut down on the turnovers. And and usually, usually it hasn't been starting slow. It did start start slow yesterday, uh, and it just uh, ended up uh, steamrolling on them at the end of the game. Alan, one of the things that was of concern to me for Purdue, and then I want you to tell me why I'm wrong, and why it's not of concern. And with Purdue, I, I'll i be honest, Alan, I, I look at the Boilers and – because I really like Matt Painter. I do. And 
I know he's a great coach. I want them so badly to be able to erase the stigma of the March shortcomings. So I don't want little things popping up over the course of the regular season that are forecasting a blueprint for people in March. And my concern is last night, you can play physical and take away Zach Eady, but how then do, in particular, you know, Kaufman Wren or obviously Caleb first, how do those guys not kind of alleviate some of that away from Zach Eady? And how how was the entire basically front line eliminated? Was that a fluke or is that a concern? Um, I think that's a concern for me in that in a little bit. And gosh, you'd be silly to to lay a whole lot of that on Edie's relative, and I mean relative, lack of production. Now, Fowles had played into the last two games. Uh, he was limited. He played ended up playing 30 minutes last night. Only played 22 against Illinois. You know, I, I don't know. I think I thought it was a good sign, actually, that first actually finally scored and had a, had a tip-in basket and a free throw. Uh, but Kaufman Wren uh, basically flatlined over 15 minutes, though he still still had five, re- five rebounds yesterday. I just think that – I think Purdue ran into a buzzsaw. I do think that is a narrative that is so much a part of the Purdue sphere – because everybody is looking for reasons where this is going to rear its ugly head come to come a march against uh, some low mid-major early on. Uh, all that can happen uh, because uh, it, it, it's not like Purdue has completely washed that away, but you've got to t- take care of the basketball. Purdue could just find ways to get themselves down to nine to ten turnovers, get four more possessions, when you're scoring like Purdue has historically done, maybe not as much last night, but their offense efficiency, they've got to simply let it happen. And, uh, again, 14 isn't an egregious number of turnovers. It was just what it meant last night in runs by Nebraska. And I'm going to give Nebraska some, a lot of credit here. I just thought they kicked Purdue's butt. Purdue got back into the game in the second half, whittled it down to one point, and all of a sudden Nebraska made all the plays, made some big threes at the right time. Got a couple somewhat unforced uh, pick-six turnovers, and all of a sudden the Cornhuskers were back in very good situations. Alan Carpa, Golden Black, joins us. Alan, it's clear at times in the large majority of the season as well that it looks like Purdue has fixed what plagued them a year ago, which is, well, if you just take away Zach Eady and dare anybody else to shoot, especially from the perimeter, you're going to have a good fighting chance and might even win the game because of it. It's clear they're a deeper team, and it's clear they're more efficient from beyond the arc. But to Jake's point about there maybe being a blueprint, when you look at the two losses to Northwestern and to Nebraska, both on the road, both kind of life in the Big Ten, and for Northwestern it took an overtime trip to get it done, the underlying of some of it has been Zach Eady foul trouble, they're letting him play physical because it's the Big Ten, and... The shooting hasn't always been there in a timely fashion. It's been there in volumes, but it hasn't been enough to come over the hump, rally back. Is there any blueprint in terms of, like Jake mentioned, well, this could be something when you look at those two losses, or is it simply the Big Ten's a tough conference and those are two solid teams? Yeah, I'm going to give you another Billy Martin answer and say I feel strongly both ways, the old light beer commercial. (laughs) But I I think – I do think that that's in Billy Martin's way before your guys' time, but uh, not mine, brother. Uh, uh, but but my point is is that combination of the two, and yet I do think Purdue, like any other team, 
Look at UConn last year, and I, and, and I understand we're talking about teams. Teams have to evolve. They have to get better over the – Purdue's got to fix some of these issues. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't do what Purdue did. they got to find an answer if, if they're going to – if they're going to pony up to to Edie, and you know Edie also, even though he only he only had three turnovers, but he had three bad turnovers. I think two of them resulted in pick sixes last 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 night or easy uh, Nebraska turnovers. Again, hard to blame what probably will be the two time uh, player of the year. But my point is, Purdue's just got to get better and get better at certain things down the stretch. When you look at the three point shooting last night. Yeah, outside of Mason Gillis, Purdue is a is eight for twenty three. You know, Mason was five for ten. Um, you know, Lance Jones I think was two for eight. Lawyer ended up uh, shooting ended up not being all that bad at three for six. But it's a combination of the two. But I think also I think Purdue. I'm going to stick to the narrative that Purdue is a year older, in better situation. But they're still going to have to be better. They better be better in March than they are on on the uh, 10th of January, or I don't think they're going to lose in the first round, but they're going to fall short of the final four. But UConn, I'll just use them as an example, got a hell of a lot better last year as the season went on. They had the players to do so. I think Purdue does as well, and I think that's uh, that, that'll be the storyline is will Purdue continue to get better and uh, be ready in March? Yes. Uh, I think all the signs can be there despite what happened last night. Alan, one of the things that – and it's a, it's it's actually probably oddly like a good problem to have, but I'm always curious about this, about this with teams that have a definitive go-to guy, as Purdue does clearly. Yeah. But they have so many other good pieces that when Edie is taken out of a game, do you think they have a definitive, like – modus operandi of the way that they operate without him like do they have an immediate okay this isn't working so now we are going to blank or do they fall victim to because they have so many guys that can make plays all of them kind of assuming that the other guy's going to do so you know you guys are asking good questions today and of which i don't know that i have good answers but Braden smith i think is and I think he is still also involving. He did not have one of his better games last night. He wasn't awful. Uh, I think he had seven assists and, and four turnovers. That was a little bit more than you want to see. Uh, excuse me, four rebounds. He had uh, just two turnovers yesterday. But my point is, I, I think Braden can lead you to what you need to do and be able to direct traffic, which is still a pretty formidable Big Ten front line. Yes, Caleb First has not been as good as you'd like, maybe, or not gotten the minutes to be as good as you'd like. But they've got, you know, Trey Coffin Red can go for 20-some points against Illinois. We know what Gillis can do. There are enough pieces there that I think even if you took Zach Eady off Purdue, Purdue would be a team that would still be competing. I wouldn't say they'd be the favorite by any stretch, but they'd be in the very upper echelon of the Big Ten. But you always struggle when you are so focused on what a guy like Edie could do, and who, who can blame Matt Painter and staff for wanting to focus on that, of actually figuring out what you have after that. And I, I think they do struggle with that from time to time. But I think that uh, I also think Braden Smith is their takeover guy in that position at the point, and they've got a lot of weapons inside. But you never got, you know, and again, maybe the way that the game worked out, and of course Gillis comes in and makes shots early, and that's why Kaufman Wren only got 15 minutes last night. Uh, 
it's hard to explain how come he can go for 20. And, but that's kind of also the function of Purdue's 10-person rotation, or at least nine and a half. You know, Miles Colvin did finally get back into a game after not playing against Illinois. I still think Matt Painter's working with it. I still think they're going to stay close to that 10-man rotation. But, you know, it was interesting, I thought, too, last night. He played Heidi a lot last night, and Heidi did do some good things for most of the game. Uh, you know, he was plus 10 on the plus-minus yesterday, the only one that uh, that wasn't a complete train wreck in that category. So uh, I, think he's still, I think he's still messing with it. It's a good problem to have. An identity outside of what uh, Zach Eady is a good storyline that uh, Purdue wants to be in better position without Eady uh, because God only knows what's going to happen in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you need to be ready for that time, and, and I think they're trying to do some things to work on that level. Alan Karpik is our guest, goldenblack.com, of course, where you can read his work talking about Purdue. Alan, I do think, and I wanted you to expand on this, um, and, and obviously he was a really good player as a young player last year anyway, but I do think that this year, even as well as he played last year, that Braden Smith ha- has shown, you know, I know that as you mentioned last night, maybe a couple of turnovers, whatnot, but he has to me really started to round himself and mature himself into a player that even as good as he was as a freshman, he is a more complete player this year than last and a more composed player this year than last Your thoughts. Uh, absolutely, and he and he's been a, he's played his way again last night, notwithstanding, uh, into the conversation of the top three team All American in my view. If Purdue ends up having the year that it looks like it continue to have, despite what happened last night, so um, you know I, I think he's a guy that uh, he's tough minded. We've all known that around Central Indiana what he's what he's been as a basketball player. Uh, and I just think he's if Purdue's going to do what it has to do, wants to do in March, he will certainly be a big, big part of that. And I think him and Edie also. I just think I do think there is something to be said about how Fred Hoiberg and 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 to some extent Brad Underwood took on uh, Purdue defensively, and whether that's going to be a trend, and whether Purdue's going to have to pivot to some extent or tweak to that as it goes to Bloomington on Tuesday, uh, even Penn State on Saturday. Yeah, I think teams are going to try to muscle up Edie and and try to limit Smith's uh, looks. But how Purdue adjusts to it, uh, I think it's a good problem for Purdue to have because I think Braden Smith has turned himself into a – uh, if he's not an elite player nationally, he's on the door of it uh, just based on his performance so far. Alan Carpenter, Golden Black, is our guest. Alan, barring a collapse of historic proportions, this next question does not matter directly for Purdue, but it does matter for the entirety of the Big Ten. When you look at the conference just this season, not moving forward, not in the past, just this season, how do you view the overall health of the Big Ten when it comes to tournament aspirations, the whole nine in terms of perception around the country? Well, I think the narrative is that it's 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 light at best. Uh, you know, you're talking six, seven teams or whatever in there. But I will say, having watched past the eyeball test of looking at Illinois in person last Friday night, I know that Purdue was in control for most of that game, though the game ended up getting somewhat close down the stretch. Illinois looks the part uh, of a team that could be very, very dangerous. Um, and even Nebraska has uh, – with Rink Mast, uh, he brings them also into a little bit different level. Of course, uh, 
uh, inside player that can do a lot of different things if you can catch him at the right time. Uh, I have not seen Wisconsin in person. I've obviously haven't seen him in person. I've only watched him a couple times on TV. We know what Wisconsin tends to be, and that's be pretty good. I don't know if you have outside of teams that really look, at least now, that look to be elite eight contenders. You know, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at Purdue and Illinois are the teams that I that, and, and and that may be a silly talk because Wisconsin's leading Purdue by a game and a half in the Big Ten right now. But um, I just think that those are the teams, that, at least based on what I've watched, are teams that really could be that that to me would be elite eight contenders. But never sleep on Michigan State. I know Michigan State is uh, is struggling in some ways, but. Uh, uh, and, and even Indiana, as poorly as Indiana played, I thought yesterday against Rutgers in the second half of watching that game, there's still enough talent there. And I can guarantee you there isn't a Purdue fan out there that uh, is going to look past next Tuesday and think it's going to be a walk in the park because you've got to be crazy if you think that's going to be the case if you're Purdue. So somebody may sneak up there. I agree that the narrative is probably true that the league is not as good. But I still think that Purdue and Illinois, especially based on what I've seen, uh, should be could be teams that could go very deep. And of course, Illinois. And I'm not even expecting Terrence Shannon to come back. I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen in that deal. But I liked uh, what I saw from Illinois in terms of a team with some toughness. And uh, Marcus Damask is pretty dang good. Uh, they've got they've got some guys that I think can stand the test of the NCAA tournament, though they haven't had had a great deal of success in the tournament uh, under Brad Underwood either. By the way, Alan, I, um, you know, you mentioned Billy Martin and the old Miller Lite ads, right? <laughs> now, when I was in college, admittedly, uh, I wasn't necessarily a Miller Lite guy. I wasn't really a beer drinker in college, but, but I do enjoy a cold beer. So here's my question Good. for you. So we're going to pretend that uh, you know, this is, of course, if we, if you and I were in college, Alan, right now, and we're we're both twenty one years old, so we're both legal. We go to Harry's Chocolate Shop, we get a beer. First off, if if you were going to get a beer, you would get what? Back in college, I would have gotten the Miller Lite, believe it or not, because I love, I, I still do like light beer. Uh, if I was in college now, I'd probably still because they're all counting carbs these yeah, days. Yeah, it's right? less filling you know? and it tastes great, as you know. Yeah, uh, okay. And Coors Light and all that stuff. But I'm now I've 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 graduated way into this uh, uh, god awful craft beer world. Though actually, it's not god awful. I like <laughs> it's it, great. I know. It's just it's just a, it's just too many calories. For I was going to say it's like it. Don't little little wrong, thicker, but, uh, right? Okay, so a little bit thicker. Yeah, but so are we, bump. right? Okay, so. So we go and we have a couple of craft beers and Miller Lights, whatever, and then we go to the game. We're both 21 years old. We're both at Purdue. We're enjoying the game. Uh, true or false, you would court rush if you were a student. It was a big game, and the number one team came calling, and you beat them. Oh, God, I'm getting tired. of it. And I'm trying not to – I'm not a Purdue I'm, – I'm a Purdue observer, but I think Purdue's got to be getting tired of that. Heck, yes, I'd have court rushed. There we go. See, that's what – because, you know um, – and, and, you know, it's funny, and I'm old enough to have kids – uh, that were at the age of, and they weren't even in college, but they were about uh, 10, 11 years old. And Robbie Hummel, uh, Purdue, you know, Hummel's first year, the Baby Boilers, and they beat Wisconsin uh, on a last-second block shot, a very good Wisconsin team in Mackey Arena. And I think that's the last time that Purdue has rushed the court in Mackey Arena, if, I, if my memory serves. And uh, I sent them both out there. Now, I didn't go out there, but I said, hey, get out there. You may never get the chance to do it. Of course, I think they were juniors in high school or junior high maybe, but uh, heck yes, I'd, I'd rush the court. Because 
what else do you do in college? Well, that's anymore? especially I mean, in Nebraska, right? But here's the thing. Has, and, 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 Jake, beer's got something to do with all this. <laughs> it's got something to do. There's a correlation there between alcohol and stadiums and rushing the court, don't you think? Uh, gee, I would think that they're, you know, <laughs> judgment may be out the window. But here, so you heard Matt Painter yesterday say, and I don't think he was necessarily being the fun police. I think he was more saying, look, can we come up with, like a lane you clear for the visiting team to get off the floor or whatever it might be. And the, truthfully, Alan, and maybe it's a question with no real answer, what can be done, though? You know, at the spur of the moment, you knew that one was coming, even though I was kind of wondering because of the spread. Uh, I wondered, you know, that if they were going to do that. I think Purdue's had the court rushed out on every Big Ten loss in the last three years, with the exception, I believe, of the Michigan game, when Purdue got boat raced pretty good, when Jaden Ivey, et cetera, up there. And I may be wrong on that. But my point is, I, I, you know, you'd like to think you could figure out a way, but I don't know how you do that because there also can be the emotion of this all of a sudden percolating up within, you know, you're down four and, and, uh, uh, and you're, you're, you're on the road and look like Purdue's going to win a game. I'm using this example, and all of a sudden things change. Um, they're coming, baby. And uh, so last night they could have probably had a rope line for it because you knew a minute and a half left this this game was over. And uh, But that hasn't been very often been the case in these Purdue games, um, uh, certainly going all the way back to Ron Harper's junior's half-court shot at Rutgers a couple years ago. Uh, it happens fast. So I, I feel for Matt Painter and staff, I think that's a – Nobody likes it because there's an element of danger in there just because you don't know if somebody's going to bop you on the back of the head or, or run you over or twist your ankle. I get that part of it, but I'm not sure. I'm not very good at offering solutions in general. Uh, this is one I'm not sure I have an, I have an offer for, uh, offer a good suggestion at all. Uh, I wish I wish if you're a Purdue fan, you sure wish they'd stop that. This stop happening, you know, but uh, it's going to happen. I, listen, speaking of like the, the, I guess probably, I mean, this is worst case scenario, but speaking of former Purdue players, Alan, years ago, I'm in college, right? We're sitting around a couple of guys in college and one of them, probably Miller Lite involved in this said, you know, we're doing, we're doing like true high school confessions, right? You know, and everybody's like, yeah, you know, I never really did go out with so-and-so that kind of thing. One of the guys who was from Anderson goes, yeah, okay, I'll admit it. And I can't remember where did, did Link Darner play at Madison Heights? Was he Madison Heights or Highland? Highland, Highland, Highland. Highland. Yeah. So I think I think the guy in the confession here went to Anderson, and Anderson had beaten Highland, and he goes, "We stormed the court, and I admit I punched Link Darner in the back of the head." I'm like, okay, well, but that's the kind of thing. Honestly, kidding aside, like you, you do no, wonder, like with coaches, that's probably why they want to get their team the heck out of there, right? Because you just never know, right? Yeah, and, and I and I think guys, and I partly was saying, you know, that they, they can get run over because of the rush of the crowd, so to speak. But you don't want to turn this into uh, to the running of the bulls every right. uh, every night. I mean, if you're if you so yes, that stuff can happen. And again, getting back to that alcohol correlation, yeah, you don't want to, <laughs> you, you know, you, you know, if if they didn't like Braden Smith and the way he, you know, he shot a three with a minute and a half to go and taunted the crowd and then Purdue ends up losing, yeah, somebody else could could uh do a haymaker that way yeah you just that's what i don't like but again i'm not i'm talking about it but i'm not offering much in the way of good solutions to it i've always wanted to do the running of the bulls by the way i don't know if it's oh, like man. some ernest hemingway thing in me and i'm and i'm an animal <laughs> lover so i hate the way it ends for the bulls i'd like to see that yeah. completely outlawed but 
the running of the Bulls, I, I have to admit, I, I think it'd be like exhilarating. But then you always get that one jackass that thinks he can go in front and like lead the field, and it's not a good idea. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to lead the field in this deal. But <laughs> correct, I just want to get to Spain. I want to see where it happens. I'll, I'll take that. You know what's interesting, <laughs> Alan? Before we let you go, have you been to Spain? No, I have not. No, so I, have not. I did not. I did not realize this. Pamplona, obviously, where the running of the Bulls is. So bullfighting is obviously, you know, a huge cultural custom in Spain, but in many parts of Spain it has been outlawed, including I was in Barcelona a year ago and the largest kind of like basically the circle center mall of Barcelona is a repurposed bullfighting ring. It used to be a bullfighting ring and now it's like a, a shopping area and I was surprised to learn and, and truthfully probably somewhat relieved to learn um how really, to be honest with you, like looked down upon bullfighting was in most parts of Spain because they realized kind of the cruelty of it, I guess. You know what I mean? Um, but the Pamplona area is the one area of Spain where they still do it. This will be a first in my interview history of talking about bullfighting and basketball. But you are right that the whole notion of I'm with you 100%. I, it's not my, it is not my cup of tea. I appreciate the fact, the tradition of it. But after that, I just assume that I think the Bulls uh, need to have a better fate. I would agree with that. Alan, we appreciate it as always. Look forward to talking to you again over the course of the season. All right, guys. Have a great rest of the show, and thanks so much. That is uh, Alan Carp at goldenblack.com. He'd be fun to go to just go to Harry's, have a Miller Lite, talk about some Hemingway books. There's one thing from that conversation, and I wanted to double-check to make sure I was accurate before I said it. While I get the funny nature of it, of college kids and drinking and all that, they still storm the court at BYU. It's not it's not it's not it's not and that's not even caffeine right exactly, right exactly so that's like, not even caffeine right I, I get it but like it's it's a natural part about being a college student and being a fan like oh my roommate time. had three diet pepsis last <laughs> night and went hog wild uh we come back breaking news within the nfl and surprising news one of the most charismatic figures in the league might not be on the sidelines we'll let you know what i'm talking about next now we're going to play the breaking news sounder twice here because you discovered something, Jimmy Cook, involving the NFL. And then, just moments ago, so too did I. We'll begin with mine. Selfish. This from WTHR.com, our friends over at Channel 13, the following tweet. Now, listen, folks, if you are right now, if you're listening to my voice and you're driving your car, I ask that you please don't drive erratically when I inform you of this news. If you are standing, I ask that you please sit down to brace yourself for this previously unreported news. Jimmy has sat down. That didn't make the sound effect. I'm standing while I'm reading it, though. Okay. WTHR tweeted this. The 2024 Super Bowl matchup will come down to two of the 14 teams that made this year's playoffs. Are you serious? <laughs> oh, my. Well, like, what? What are, what are we doing here, right? What, what are we doing? What are we doing? The, the 2024 presidential election will come down to the nominees that voters vote for throughout the course of the primaries. What, 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 like, what are we doing? Tonight at dinner. My meal will come down to what I choose. I mean, what 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 is going on? I'm saying it's generated. I'm saying it's a generated headline. You think that's you think that's got to be an yes. AI deal? Yes, that's early AI. 
I mean, what in the world? Anyway, the real breaking news. Here we go, Corbin. This from Adam Schefter on Twitter, a shocker in Seattle. Pete Carroll is expected to be out as the Seahawks head coach. Per sources, that's no longer expected. That is now official. Not going to read the whole thing, but this is a statement from Jody Allen, chair of the Seattle Seahawks, at Seahawks on Twitter. After thoughtful meetings and careful consideration for the best interest of the franchise, we have amicably agreed with Pete Carroll that his role will evolve from head coach to remain with the organization as an advisor et cetera, et cetera. Pete will always be a beloved member of the Seahawks family. Okay. Here's what's interesting about this. The beautiful spin of evolved. Cause tip of the cap to the PR department there. It's beautiful. It is. It, he's, he's going to be this year. He would be 73 years old. And I know that there are coaches that coach at 73 years old, but the energy with which, I mean, Pete Carroll is like 73 going on 50, right? Yes. But but the amount of energy with which he coaches and the sidelines and you know everything about him, I, I could see where he may have said like, look, I don't know this, but it, but it certainly feels like this could be a situation where Pete Carroll said, you know, I'm guys, I, I don't know how much longer I can do this, and they said, well, yeah, but understood, but we want you like we do covet your opinions and input now. See, but why push back on that a little bit? I know you're just speculating there. You're not saying that's your firm take of what this is, but Pete Carroll doesn't strike me as the type that would have in media availability this week, quote, I told you guys, I love these guys. I planned on coaching this team. I'm not worn out. I'm not tired. I'm not any of that stuff. And then he goes on to what he needs to do better. Okay. And also, I mean, that's fair. And this is because like, I guess the human interest aspect of it, there's no like proven this isn't a proven concept, right? This is just a theory in my brain. And I think about it with like my late father who, you know, he has dementia that gets him in the end. But for a lot of people, especially older folk, when you take away what they're primarily doing, what their primary objective day-to-day thing is, I feel like more often than not, things deteriorate quickly after that. Like with Pete Carroll, I don't think that's the case because he appears to be in good shape. He appears to be in good health. But I feel like there's enough examples of coach or broadcaster retires and then three or four years later, there's the obit. Sorry to be dark, but like that's just where my mind goes. Yeah, I I mean. Because it's a routine. It's part of your life. It's something that you care about, that you do. And then how do you fill that void this late in life? You know, the the thing that where Seattle has kind of a a slippery slope here. This is now the seventh head coaching opening in the NFL, right? That is correct. You have Atlanta, you have the Chargers, you have Seattle, Washington, Vegas, Carolina, and Tennessee. By the way, do you hear like a weird noise of something that might be blowing up underneath us? Can you hear that? Is that just me that hears that? I mean, I could have some speculation as to why that could be happening if it was. But I'm always I, worried I in the studio when, thing, when there's like, it, I think there's like a clock ticking underneath us. Did, do we know who's been in here lately? Like it might be that uh, the Foxworthy fella, you know, is he coming in here at night and, and leaving stuff behind? Do we know? No, that's not, that's not, that's not Joe. Okay. He's a hardworking man. He is. Joe's actually one of those guys that's kind of the heartbeat of this place. Are you sure it's not your favorite clock behind me that you love to it's use to that. get break times? It's not that. Okay. 
something's ticking in here. I'm telling you. Um, all of those jobs, Atlanta, I mean, all of those jobs have negatives to them, which is why they're open. Correct. Okay. I mean, but uh, in terms of rosters or just feeling like the, the cupboard is not totally barren, I think Seattle is pretty interesting. The Chargers as well, because Justin Herbert, I think coaches really like his talent. And the Seahawks are, it feels like a franchise that's pretty, like, I'm trying to think of an NBA equivalent. But an NBA franchise that is maybe not like breakthrough every year, but at the same time, you always take them serious and they always seem to be a playoff contending franchise. The Miami Heat? Is that the uh, Are the Seahawks the Miami Heat of the NFL? You know, well-coached roster that probably, it, it, you know, you're like, wow, I didn't expect them to be this good this year. But but either way, my point being, I don't think it's a situation where people walk into it and go, man, there's nothing here. However, the, the slippery slope that Seattle puts themselves in right here is in any job, okay, when you go into a situation in any job, you are automatically aware of who last held that position. And you are interested in how influential that person still is and how much the employer may be longing for that person versus you. Okay? And, for example, there was a movie that I loved a couple of years ago. I say a couple. It's like 10 years old. That I don't think many people saw with Jack Nicholson called About Schmidt. Did you ever see that movie, Jimmy? I did not. I know I know of it, but I did not see it. I loved it, but I, I think I'm one of like 52 Americans that actually saw it. But in the movie, he is a retiree. He retires. They have like a big thing for him, whatever else. And then a couple of days later, he kind of makes up an excuse why he's got to go back in the office and pick up a few things, whatever else. And as he goes in the back way, he sees all the files he'd been working on and all this stuff like in the last year of his career sitting in the back by a dumpster. And he realizes... Man, they were just like going through the window dressing. They 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 really weren't that interested in what I was doing because they moved in a totally different direction. And they had a new guy that came in, and that guy probably that replaced that the character. You know, he's like, hey, I got a fresh start, and they, you know, whatever. They they need a new perspective, so this is a good job for me. I think that sometimes when you go into a job, you if the guy that you are replacing is still around in an advisory role and is still walking in the front office and is still in the meetings, it would be tempting to not, as the coach, be like, look, I mean, if you guys wanted this guy's opinion and input all the time, like, why don't you still have him coaching? Like, let me do what I need to do. Yeah. yeah. So you wonder if Carol, as charismatic a character as Pete Carroll is, you wonder if that doesn't make it a challenge for Seattle to find the best potential candidate because they would be if it's an established coach, like is Bill Belichick going to go there and confer with Pete Carroll? You would think that puts you in a situation where you go with the younger guy now, right? Correct. By the way, about Schmidt turned 21 last month. Is it that that old? Oh, two. Okay. Which is I would have guessed 2012, but which which is better when you laid that out there that he's probably going to be 10 years old. I was really hoping for comedic purposes, it's going to be like an 85. Right. So slightly disappointed. It's a 21st century film, but hey, good on you. Yeah, I mean, look, if I am an NFL franchise, though, it's the same caveat you pointed out yesterday about Bill Belichick. 
72 going on 73. Where are you as an organization? How long does Pete Carroll have left that he wants to do this? If it's, and this is probably crazy, I understand, if it's seven seasons, which would put him in 80, and that feels, again, crazy, but you pointed out earlier, 73 going on 50. If it's seven seasons, okay, that's a decent timeline to turn something around with the franchise. If it's four seasons, then you're looking at, do we have the pieces in place already where we can bring this Super Bowl champion, experienced coach in, and accelerate our timeline where it needs to be? Now, I want to get back to this post from uh, WTHR. The, the 2024 Super Bowl matchup will come down to two of the 14 teams that made this year's NFL playoffs. Is that different than the 2023? Can we go back and find out historically if there was well, yeah. a year where the team, the two teams in the Super Bowl were that other than who were in the playoffs? Well, the difference in those two stories is, of course, the year. Um, outside of that, though, no. Minus uh, th- expansion. This, Minus this expansion. has opened the door for me for a famous Jake Query monologue, if I may. Okay. Okay? That's every day on the show, but yes, continue. Not all of them are famous. All right. I have bad news for people in the world of news. And I worked in a newsroom. Okay? That's a fact. Every year, every year during the elections, newsrooms, like people that work in local news, news reporters, news anchors, they lose sleep for weeks about the election night. They're like, oh my gosh, it, how are we going to do this? Like the, the results are going to be coming in till almost 9 p.m. And we're on the air at 11. Holy cow, what are we going to do? I mean, we're going to have to dispatch all hands on deck, get everybody in here, send them all out. I mean, somehow we've got to find out who won the county commissioner's race two counties over, and <laughs> the results aren't, they might not be in until 930 and we have to have a report on by 11. So here's what we're going to do. Let's get all hands on deck. Let's disperse everywhere. And then we'll make sure that we bring in pizza for everybody and Boston Market food for everybody. And and we'll, everybody will get a handwritten note of congratulations on how hard they worked and how their journalistic integrity was the most important thing because they were able to turn around a story in an hour and a half. And then we'll make sure that we post pictures of the pizza that was half eaten to let everybody know about the horrible conditions with which we had to work. Because we were here until almost 1130. Meanwhile, the two-person sports department every single night has full packages, three-minute synopsis, turnaround, highlights, and postgame on the air by 11.20 for a game that ended at 11.08. Wait, what's that? It's 11.45. Wait, the phone's ringing? Yeah, excuse me. Did you see that uh, Hawaii? <laughs> who, who won uh, that Cal State Fullerton Cal game? Bakersfield game. Uh, all right. Wait, wait it was, it was over-under was 2.40. Every oh, night that okay. would happen. Now, here's the other thing. Did they thank you ever? Never. All right. Then I never even got part of the winnings. Here's the other thing. Bulletin for news people. And I'm going to give credit right now. Rich Nye. Rich Nye, who was a sports guy forever. Rich Nye, the sports guy. Now he's doing news at Channel 13. You know why? Because it was the easiest transition ever for him because he's used to turning things around quickly. Chris Widlick, right? Dave Calabro, Chris Hagan. Anthony Calhoun. Anthony Calhoun. All of them. I mean, over the course of time, Taylor Tannenbaum, when she was at 13. Ashley Adamson. 
People that work in sports, you can airdrop instantly into any news story and they can do it seamlessly. You can take any sports reporter, any of them, and say, hey, we need you for election coverage. Can we drop you in right now? Absolutely. You know how many times I've watched Channel 13 when Rich and I was a sports guy? And Rich and I actually, like, literally, Mother Nature followed him around. They're like, Rich Nye is covering uh, these – he's doing the Franklin-Whiteland game tonight, so let's just drop a tornado in the middle of Trafalgar because he's going to be nearby. <laughs> or, like, th- I remember one time when I worked at Channel 6, they had me g- – I'm out going on a story, and there was a terrible traffic accident, and they called, and they're like, hey, can you do a quick story on that? Sure. You can take any sports person and drop them into live breaking news in any situation, and they will cover it flawlessly. But you take any news person and ask them to cover sports, and Katie bar the door, the next thing you know, you get a breaking news story that this year's NFL Super Bowl is going to feature two teams that made the playoffs. It's the most unbelievable thing to me ever. It's And people right. in the world of sports, man, woman, young, old, whatever, Everybody that works in the world of sports snickers about it. It's our own inside joke that I've now broadcasted to everybody. But one thing you got to say about that headline, it's factual. It is factual. That's true. That the the it's the cold hard truth right there. The robot they bought from Jeff Bezos last <laughs> week is doing his job. I heard they bought it from uh, the uh, Elixir that you purchased. That's right. That's right. Actually, our, our same company. Our athlete translation is Elixir. Elixir. I got to uh, re up my subscription for that. Today's plays of the day largely involved with Pacers Wizards, but the Pacers are favored by nine, and I don't know that I trust this team even against the Wizards without Tyrese Halliburton to cover that number. So we'll look elsewhere. We'll take Benedict Matherin over 17.5 total points, as well as Miles Turner over 1.5 total blocks. Later this evening, Minnesota travels to Boston. Celtics are undefeated at home this year. I think that continues, but the Timberwolves cover the number. They're getting 9.5, 9.5 point underdogs. We'll scoop 9.5 for the Timberwolves. In Boston. Those are the plays of the day. Now, here's my one pick. You ready? All right. I'm scrolling through. Okay. Uh, I don't know the line, but I, I'm, I'm going to take Bucknell at Lehigh. Take the bison. <laughs> outright? Yep. Okay. Outright. I like Bucknell. They're not Kansas. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Out of the tournament once. I like bison. Bison cool, too. Do you like bison burgers? Oh, my God. I'd rather have that than, what, is it ground ground beef, I guess? Yeah. Cow meat, I guess. This is bison meats. Is that ground beef, like- too? You said I like Bucknell, bison. correct? Yes. So they're plus 215. They're getting five and a half at Lehigh. Jimmy so, doesn't hear you unless you scoop it. Correct. You scoop it. <laughs> I love a good scoop, John. Come on. <laughs> now, John, have you seen the movie Along Came Polly? Uh, yeah, with uh, the jump shooting ability there. Philip Seymour uh-huh. Hoffman. I love him. You, you're actually kind of dressed today like Philip Seymour Hoffman on the basketball court. Am I? Yeah, because oh, you got on dress oh, okay, socks yep. with, with shooting shoes. I like that. No. Oh, they're not dress socks. They're not? I keep my feet warm, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Hey, um, are you guys concerned like I am? Have you seen over the last 10 plus years or so um, an escalating amount of purposely done nut shots in sports? Why are we here right now? Well, it's uh, here's the thing. You're seeing that because you watch Indiana and Xavier Johnson seems to have a fascination no. with well, it. Well, I mean, it's just in sports in general. 
it seems like, didn't you grow up? We all grew up in an era in which Unspoken you rule. just, like, it's weird. At, at Eastern High School, for whatever reason, uh, when I was in junior, I was about 12 years old, and everybody wanted to play this game called Bag Tag. Yeah. And I never played it. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was ridiculous. Um, it didn't last very long because we found out how much it consistently hurt. And I just wonder why. Like last night you saw it. You see it. Draymond Green's Wait, been can, an offender like three or four I, different if I times. May, if I may. Yeah. What exactly? How did you play said game? Uh, you walk down the hall and some unsuspecting <laughs> schoolmate of yours, you just read. And here's how you do it. If you guys are watching... I think you can see via YouTube Live right now. Don't, don't do you it would, to Yeah, me. I'm doing my best to not be you would, part you of this. You would do this. Yes. Yep. When they're yep. walking by, you do that. And um, evidently, you would try to do it. I think Bob Siegel actually had an investigative report on bag tagging a couple of years ago okay. on Channel 13. Was this before but or after? Get, you would try he used to, to climb you would, try to focus in on maybe one or the other or split the difference, whatever would give you the most pain. And I never, I was never taking part of it. They do a sports I thought it was ridiculous. No, Bob Siegel did an investigative report. Were you ever tagged? Huh? Oh, yeah, tagged? of course. It's awful. Terrible. You get, you get the, you think you're going to throw up, and then you start sweating, and it's awful. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Especially, I mean, if, if you isolate one or the other, or if you're a tweener, that's the worst right there. It's, it's almost better if it's a full-on fist than it is if you get a tweener now, or what one did, or the other. So what did Xavier Johnson do last night? I, I think he kind of ju- he almost like there's almost like a grasping. There, there. was. Yeah. I was going to say for the mm-hmm. um, like a a, a what a, a chain tug is that like additional points in this game? Because um, he went for that apparently. I, I think I think the points the, the point system went by whether or not the person you had tagged doubled over in the hole. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. I didn't grow up with a bunch of rednecks, did I? Come on. Um, <laughs> How many how many chances does of them a twenty four year old guy get that is already? I mean, um, John, at this point, you got to say honestly. If I, if I'm Indiana, it, I let off the show talking about this, but this guy's older than nine members of the Indiana Pacers, and there's nothing. I, I get it. I mean, he's had injuries and whatever else, but how many chances he, he got? He's been suspended for leaving the team hotel and going out in, in Chicago. He's been. You know, he picked up a felony charge of driving like 90 up Walnut, and that was lowered down, and so yeah. therefore he wasn't kicked off the team for that. Uh, this, uh, he's 24 years old. He's got to know better. At some point, you just have to say to yourself, Draymond Green and Draymond Green, enough. I right? don't think there's, there's like normally when you see these circumstances without uh, repercussions or punishment, it's because there is a value, on-court value given there. Well, the problem and is he brings no, the one thing to the table they never went out and addressed, right? Well, and, and he... He rarely, if ever, brings that to the table. You're right. I mean, whether through injury or, you know, lack of production. So, Mike Woodson does not jump off the page as a disciplinarian that's going to say enough is enough. I think he's going to ride this thing out for whatever reason um, in a season that is is circling. I will say this, though. I expected him to lose last night. However, I do expect him to win home games. And that's a lot of this Big Ten this year is trying to hang in it and – and again, protecting your home games. They were just so awful last night. Beyond, you know, the bag tag situation. You, what were they? Four fifteen from the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, and they. I'd like to think a lot of dudes around here could drop kick it in at four out of fifteen times. And John, I, listen, line. I was harsh on Purdue or on Indiana for losing to Nebraska, and then to be consistent, I guess I should be hard on Purdue for losing to Nebraska as well at Nebraska. But 
They have the most Nebraska's, quad wins of any quad one wins of any in the country. I mean, like they could, yeah. season could end today. Purdue still a one. Seed. Well, and, and yeah. Purdue stunk last night too. In the, in the first half, Purdue stunk, and I know Nebraska is a hot team and better. Hey, by the way, Joe Galt just sent me a text. The Bob Siegel package, no pun intended here. It was a a, a ratings sweeps package. Of course, yeah, yeah, sweep of course. package was called ball tapping. That's what it was. Ball tapping. They actually called that. This no, it's ball tap. Bots, uh, I used to make fun of it all the time. With was Bob. this before or after their, their uh, not Bob, but bots were writing their headlines on, <laughs> on I, I don't even know Twitter. if Bob exists anymore because I haven't seen Channel 13 in like six months. So Along with Peacock, right? I haven't seen Channel 13. I haven't seen Wish TV Channel 8 since 1995. <laughs> Okay, uh, John's up with us next. Uh, no, no, what's it called again? Is AC still there? Because I want to see he and Hagen fight one of these days. Though Bag I do want to see that <laughs> ball tapping. That's a nine eleven. John's up next with that kind of award-winning radio. <laughs>